Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Tuesday morning, September 19, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Jim Rat. No shot, Josh. <laughs> Jim Rat. Good morning. Yeah, Jim Rat. I've seen him there several times in the last few days. You going how many days a week? Three. I think Rev's giving you kind of a, uh, a flexible schedule, right? He has. As long as you get your job done. So you're leaving it about the... Um, I mean, it, the the last month or so, I've been. Good morning, Rev. Good morning. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to <laughs> that's all right. You from, I'm, I'm enjoying the conversation. I'm enjoying the conversation. No, I mean, I mean, you've given him some um some flexibility of schedule, mm-hmm. and um I bumped into him, uh, Josh, the last probably three or four times I've been at the gym. Um, high intensity interval training is the ambitious goal. Is that fair, Josh? Yes. Okay, you're not there yet. Not yet. I think I said this morning. I'd be a little careful getting there too fast. Um kind of gradually work up to the high intensity uh, interval training um periodic table does anybody remember that oh yeah well what is that i mean you would be inclined you'd be more scientific in nature uh, than i would be <laughs> i don't remember uh, really any of it but i remember it's the uh what the the, the, the symbols for the, the elements yeah the kind of the elements and mineral charts yeah is that fair i remember uh, learning it i can picture it you know seeing it in class mm-hmm don't really know that I've applied it much in my toward life since the then. end of the show yesterday. We played a um uh, about six minutes of a Joe Rogan podcast. I want to go back. That was a, a kind of kind of a late encounter um, in the show. We have a transitioning audience. We are well aware that the majority of you don't sit around on your duff uh, for four hours from six until ten listening to uh, what it is we talk about and say. But uh, we had a kind of an encounter. Yesterday afternoon, excuse me, yesterday morning late in the show. It feels like afternoon by the time you get near 10 <laughs> right. when you sit your duff down at six, 5 in the morning and prepare for an hour, and um, and we go over the air at six at uh, 6.05. But anyway, um, it, it, is, it could be the most interesting debate in America. It could be the most interesting debate America's had since the Constitution. What? It could. I mean, it, if we were sincerely and genuinely interested in a, a debate— the pros and cons, the goods and bads, the ifs and ain'ts. Um, I mean, it could really and truly be a monumental, uh, curious political, economic, um, I mean, debate about, you know, renewable energy or not. Because, guys, there's nothing clean about this. I mean, I get the renewable part of this. I'll, I'll take you to school, Rev. You ready? Um, I read more than you care to know about lithium ion and cobalt, magnesium, Have and, you really? and nickel. Oh yeah. I mean, did you know that in the lithium ion battery, um, I mean, the, the, the goal I think we'll all agree is longer ranges, shorter charges. I mean, that's always been the problem. Uh, someone mentioned a couple of people mentioned yesterday. Well, I mean, they made electric cars back in the 1920s, thirties, forties, fifties. They did. They did. But they had they had not gotten to a point where it made any sense to consider that as a you know a um and I'm talking about post internal combustion engine an alternative to the internal combustion engine um the the charge took so long and the the range was so short so in essence what we've tried Rev and what we're trying now and this is where it gets to be an interesting debate um how do we design an electric vehicle that has longer ranges and sh- shorter charges. Not only shorter charges, but more efficient charges. Now, but th- those are interesting because you said yesterday, I said, uh, Josh agreed, I'm not opposed to EVs. I mean, it'd be no. foolish to be opposed to yeah, EVs. Never, never have been. No, I mean, I'm, I'm 100% supportive of, you know, uh, innovation to the private sector. Yeah. 
the, the market at work. I've said it before. I think Teslas are cool. Yeah. Um, They're unique, and every time I see one on the road, it's like, mm, that's a Tesla. Tesla's going to be more cool as time goes on. Tesla enjoys a 25% labor cost advantage over the legacy manufacturers. If the UAW gets its way, and I saw J.D. Vance yesterday say, the the I think Ford, don't hold me to this, Ford and GM, I think he's considering both. Ford and GM have lost in the neighborhood of $5 billion by following government edict and trying to fast track the electric car. I mean, they, they've lost about $5 billion bucks doing what the government said do. Now, the government's incentivizing and, uh, you know, some of these energy companies or some of these EV companies are profiteering. We, we've argued that the profit center for Tesla has been what? Not the selling of, of cars, but rather the remarketing of green energy credits. So there's a lot of government manipulation and distortion uh, in this. But J.D. Vance uh, tweeted yesterday because he would be a, uh, you know, an America first Republican. I mean, some say he's a fraud. Maybe. I don't know. But he's um, he's couched himself as an America first Republican. And it was very interesting to watch a Republican say that the, the, the ask of the UAW is going to cost the auto manufacturers about $5 billion. That's about what Ford and GM have lost in trying to do what the government says you must do by the year um, 2032 or be fined tremendous amounts of money by some of these government regula- regulatory agencies. So you got, you got Ford and GM losing about $5 billion trying to build or trying to get to electric vehicles without market forces, but rather government edict, government, government order. The UAW is asking for concessions of these manufacturers to the tune of about $5 billion. Tesla has about a 25% advantage in labor costs today. If the UAW gets its way, that, that goes to 67%. I mean, it's a huge advantage Tesla has. And when you think about Tesla, um, we've argued, and, and I think some agree, Josh, I'll ask you, is Tesla a car company or a technology company? I think it, uh, it's a technology company. But it's about to be a car company. I mean, they're about, they, they sell 60% of all EVs in America today. I mean, 60% of all the electric vehicles in America today are sold or sold, are sold by, by Tesla, manufactured by Tesla. So I think Tesla is beginning to transition from a technology company that has all of its um, software contracts in, in-house, has all of its te- technological assistance or um, uh, technology support uh, contracts in-house. I read a lot about this yesterday. I mean, you would have been proud <laughs> Apparently of Apparently so. Well, I mean, I read the periodic table. Um, <laughs> and I'm like you. I remember the mental chart, you know, back in the day, yep. uh, back in the late 70s at Hannah Pamplico Middle and High School. Um, and that was before I got the advanced degrees at the Hannah Pamplico oh. Institute of Higher Learning. Um Good. So, so you've got all of these things kicking. You've got a uh, a negotiation between the UAW and the the big three auto manufacturers, which isn't really the big three anymore. I mean, let's be candid. Uh, it, it's Ford and GM. I mean, that 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 would be. I mean, Toyota's not an American car manufacturer. I know they build cars in America. BMW builds cars in America. But we think about the American auto industry. We think of Ford, GM, and Chrysler, and Chrysler is just not big. I mean, they, you know, they're just not Ford nor nor GM. Um, so, so you've got Tesla here, and and te- here's what Musk has done. Musk has rewarded his employees with stock options. He's also rewarded his employees with reduced 
I mean, in other words, as part of your compensation, you're guaranteed a certain number of stock options. You can also buy additional stock options at about 15% below market value. So he's incentivizing his employees to invest in their company. Sure. I mean, do you really believe in what you're doing or not? So here are opportunities. There, there are about 30 original employees at Tesla that have an average of about $6 million in retirement account solely invested in Tesla. Wow. I mean, it's, it's, Good it's, for it's, them. it's really a cool story. Yeah. And, and we, if you asked Musk today, because I read a lot about what he said and actually saw him on a couple of podcasts. If you asked Musk today, are we a car company or a technology company? He would say for the first time, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, we, we've always been a technology company and we're beginning, I guess, to identify more as a, as an auto company. I mean, if you ask the guy on the street, does Tesla make cars or are they in the technology business? The guy on the street would say, the Seinfeld watcher, so we, we, we build cars, man. I, yeah, mean, yeah. I mean, I just saw a car drive by you with the Tesla. So. Didn't make any noise. Right. You know, it didn't make yeah. <laughs> this electric. I, I say it's about 50-50. Yeah, I mean, if yeah. you had to kind of look at it today. But but five or six years ago, it would have been 70-30. They, they were trying to figure yeah. out the, and, the battery and the computers. And, and their profit center was, once again, kind of government enhanced. Yep. Um, so, so let's go down the road. Stick with me for a second, because I want to go back and play that Rogan podcast in its entirety. I listened last night. There is no bomb. Okay, good. Safe I mean, to if, play, huh? Well, I mean, if, if Rogan goes 14 minutes without dropping the bomb, it's serious. <laughs> I mean, it's real serious. And he's talking about child labor and slave labor, uh, the Dominican Republic of, excuse me, the Democrat Republic of Congo. Ain't not a Democrat about that place. But anyway, it's under Chinese control. Um, there's just another side of the story. We're told that if we could only build our electric vehicles, um, you know, we'd save the planet and we would cause trouble and consternation in the Middle East, you know, cause we depend on those folks to, to provide the, uh, the oil necessary to convert, to, or, or refine into petroleum. And out of that comes gas and kerosene and, and diesel fuel. And we got to have that to power our economy. And if we can only stop depending on Saudi Arabia and the Middle East and those people who don't care much for our way of life. Well, I mean, we're probably going to depend. It's it's a close race here. We're either going to continue building an internal combustion engine with a Biden energy policy and depend on Russia and China, excuse me, Russia and the Middle East to provide the oil necessary to meet the margins. I mean, there, there's kind of a margin in America, and it really is why oil's at about $95 a barrel today. I mean, gas will probably be $375, $380 uh, in the next 20 days, but that's kind of the way the Biden administration wants it. I mean, the higher gas, the more likely you are to be interested in an EV, right? I mean, if gas is $1.89 a gallon, like it was when Trump was president, or two nineteen a gallon, like it was when Trump was president, uh, people got to fooey that, that electric vehicle. You keep your electric car, gas is 2 bucks a gallon, I'm good here. All of a sudden, gas is $4 a gallon, and I may look into that electric vehicle. I mean, there may be a reason financially for me to make um, that decision. But I actually went last night to, I don't know, 20 different websites. And, I mean, you're nodding your head now. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, the lithium battery has three major components. I mean, I'll never try to recite this from memory because it gets far too complicated for me. But you got a, uh, a cathode. Did you know this? You, you've got an electrolyte. Uh, I thought that was in Gatorade. You've got, um, <laughs> you've, you've got an, an anode. Did you know that? Yeah. Okay, let's break it down simply because this will be interesting for our listeners. Um, Sounds like a transmitter what I mean, tube. Stick with me now. The, the, the cathode is a is po the positively charged um, 
electrode made of the metals, the metal combination, cobalt, um, nickel, magnesium, iron, aluminum. I mean, that's that's the, um, just think of it this way. When a battery is charged, ions flow from the cathode to the anode where they are stored. So, so the anode is the storing side of the battery. So when you're charging the battery, you're basically charging um, the cathode side and the cathode side, um, I, it sends, I have no idea. Well, let me do, let's do this. The electrolyte, you ready? The electrolyte is the, I mean, this is the Carbon Institute. Uh, there is a Carbon Institute. <laughs> the, the electrolyte, let me get my glasses here. Um, a lithium salt is liquid or gel form that provides um, conduction for the flow of ions. So what you've got, guys, you got a, you got a battery. On one end of the battery, you got storage. On the other end of the battery, you've got um, when, it, when it's used, you know, powering. Powering on one end, storing on the other, and you've got the electrolyte condu- con- conducive materials in the middle. Does that make okay. sense? Um, so, so when a battery is charging, the ions flow through the electrolyte, this, um, this gel that provides the conduction, to the cathode, from the cathode, to the anode where they are stored. So they're stored in the anode. And then you've got, during usage, let's say Rip plugs his, uh, he unplugs his Tesla from his garage charger, he gets in, he starts driving down the road. So during usage, the ions flow from the anode to the cathode, and electrons are passed through an external circuit that, that powers the electric, um, the electric vehicle. The composition of the cathode is what, basically determines the battery performance. Remember we said earlier, larger ranges, shorter charges. You can't do this without cobalt, nickel, magnesium, iron, and aluminum. The the most insignificant component of this is lithium. I mean, it really is. Um, You got to have cobalt and nickel. Those are two real critically important um, elements. Here we go with the periodic table. Minerals. That have to be mined to make sure we can provide, you know, um, the industry, the ever-growing auto or the electric vehicle industry of uh, the cobalt and the and the nickel and the magnesium and the iron and the aluminum it needs to once again build the cathode side of these batteries. Uh, remember, the um, the anode is the negatively charged, the cathode is the positively charged, and during usage, these ions flow from the anode. That's where all the minerals are to the cathode, but the anode is where all the, and and, I mean, that that would be science for another day, but I didn't get there. I don't know how the cobalt in conjunction with the, the nickel, the magnesium, the iron, the aluminum, I don't know how that acts as a stored agent, but it does. And you can't build the cathodes of these batteries unless you have an abundance of these, of these minerals. 40% of all cobalt mined in America are going to EVs. I mean, the EVs are in smartphones, they're in computers, they're in, I mean, they're in a lot of different products, but 40% of all the cobalt mined in America today is going to EVs, and we believe if the government gets its way, that will increase by somewhere around 130%. Here's the issue. You ready? About, se- about 80%, really a little better than 80%, of all the cobalt that is being mined today in the world is in the Congo. They believe, you ready? 
because we're talking about climate change science now. The same people that believe they know the temperature of the planet Earth 100 years from now believe that there's somewhere around 120 million tons of cobalt on planet Earth. 80% is in the Congo. 78% of the 78, you got 80% being now in Congo. 78% of the cobalt being mined in the Congo goes straight to China for refining. They've got a, a really good abusive contract. I mean, it's an abusive process. There's no question about it. But I want to do this. I want to take a break. I want to come back and play um, because Josh said yesterday, Rev said he hadn't. Josh said he had heard of conflict mineral. And I mean, I'm just, what I'm trying to, to, to argue is we act like that there are bureaucrats in Washington that know where a room is with a switch. And somebody's going to walk in that switch in 2032 and say, off with the internal combustion engine, on with the electric vehicle, and everything's fine because we say it in some academic setting or bureaucratic setting that everything. You're talking about one of the most complicated transitions of the history of mankind. I mean, I'm convinced now. I knew it was complicated. We have no clue how complicated this is. We, we cannot begin to fathom the complications required to go from an internal combustion engine, and I'm talking about power and the economy, guys. I'm talking about trains and cars and trucks and, 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 and boats and, and jets and farm tractors and backhoes and bulldozers. I mean, we're talking about zero carbon emitting. Stop with that. There's no such thing as zero carbon emitting, period. I mean, that, that, that's, a, I mean that, that's fool's gold talking about minerals there there's nothing <laughs> there's nothing zero carbon emitting about any of this but biden said what i mean biden's a liar biden's a coal oh. biden's a stone foe a stone pole was a stone <laughs> pony what stone faced pony yeah, soldier I keep saying stone pony because of bruce and bon jovi <laughs> he's a what is it again what uh, uh something pony soldier yeah stone, he's a he's a stone faced pony, pony soldier, soldier liar that's yeah. exactly what joe biden is but, but I can't call Biden that. I think Biden's problem here is he's just dumb. I mean, I just don't think he's real well, smart. And somebody's convinced him that there is zero carbon emittance. There's a room somewhere that only bureaucrats know about that we go one day before 2032, flip a big switch, off with the internal combustion engines, on with the electric vehicles. I have no idea how complicated it is. But those that do will tell you, we have no idea what we're getting into. I mean, it's unfathomable how complicated. But I want to go back and play the Rogan podcast on the other side of the break. Back in a few. Good experience. Please detail the journey that you went on to, to write this book and why it's of concern to you. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I started traveling to the Congo um, five years ago. Um, I've been doing research on slavery and child labor for about 20 years. Uh, traveling all around the world, documenting slaves and child laborers, human trafficking. Um, and this came across my radar um, maybe seven years ago. Um, people started talking in the field about cobalt. Cobalt's in the batteries. It's in the Congo. The conditions are horrible. And I had no idea. I'd never heard of this. Uh, so I started planning to take trips to get down there. And I took my first trip um, back in 2018. Um, my plan was I thought I would try to lay the groundwork to do some academic research. Um, and the things I saw there were so appalling 
and heart-wrenching and urgent that uh, I changed my approach. I thought, um, people need to know about this. Um, I, need to, I need to write a book. Uh, and so I started planning more trips, and I just kept going back. And the reason this is important, Joe, um, and we can dig into this um, in more depth, um, throughout the whole history of slavery, I mean, I'm going back centuries, Never, never in human history has there been more suffering that generated more profit and was linked to the lives of more people around the world ever, ever in history than what's happening in the Congo right now. And the reason I say that is this. The cobalt that's being mined in the Congo is in every single lithium-ion rechargeable battery manufactured in the world today. Every smartphone, every tablet, every... Uh, uh, laptop, and crucially, every electric vehicle. Um, so you and I, we can't function on a day-to-day -day basis without cobalt, and three-fourths of the supply is coming out of the Congo. Um, and it's being mined in appalling, heart-wrenching, dangerous conditions. Um, and so that's why people need to know, because uh, by and large, the world doesn't know what's happening in the Congo. It's something that people sort of know peripherally that, you know, that they call them conflict minerals. And, you know, they know that they're coming from an area of the world that's very poor. But I don't think people are aware of how horrible it is. There has been have been some documentaries that have been done on it, and they're all terrifying. Yeah. So so conflict minerals was phase one. And that's actually not cobalt. Um what is what what's term what does it refer to conflict so minerals? conflict minerals uh, also called the three TG minerals are tin tungsten tantalum and gold um, and those are in the eastern Congo and that um, catastrophe started uh, around the year 2000 uh, late 1990s 2000 um, shortly after the Rwandan genocide um, the militias moved in and Eastern Congo is sitting on some of the largest reserves in the world of those 3TG um, minerals, especially tantalum. And those are all used in microprocessors. And you can think back to, you know, around the year 2000, uh, mobile phones first started coming out and gaining traction. I still remember my little StarTac flip phone that mm -hmm. I had from Motorola. You remember that? Sure. Uh, and all that supply was coming out of Eastern Congo. Militias and warlords were... Um, uh, forcing the local population at gunpoint, machete point, to dig this stuff out. And it was flowing up into the formal supply chain into mostly um, those first-generation cell phones. And uh, that became known as conflict minerals. Uh, cobalt started later. Cobalt really took off about 10, 12 years ago. And it's in another part of the country, in the mining provinces in the southeast of the Congo. And cobalt took off because uh, it was started to be used in lithium-ion batteries to maximize their charge and stability. Um, and it just so happens that the Congo, just as it was sitting on more than half the world's reserves of coltan and, of course, a lot of gold and diamonds and other things, is sitting on more cobalt than the rest of the planet combined. And it's in a small little patch of the Congo southeastern corner, a part that used to be called Katanga. And uh, before anybody knew what was happening, 
Chinese government, Chinese mining companies took control of almost all the big mines, um, and the local population has been displaced, uh, is under duress, and they dig in absolutely subhuman, gut-wrenching conditions for a dollar a day, feeding cobalt up the supply chain into all the phones, all the tablets, and especially electric cars. And we're looking at a video now. Jamie, what is this? The mines? This is his video. So I think so. This is yeah. so crazy to see. This is the bottom of the supply chain of your iPhone, of your Tesla, of your Samsung. I mean, I'm just naming those companies. Right. Uh, it's all of them, right? All of them. We're not just picking on them. And here's what you need to know, Joe, about this video. I, I was the first outsider to get into this mine. Uh, and that's why it's just a really short video that I was, I was able to take. This is an industrial cobalt mine where there's not supposed to be one artisanal miner. Now, that's the term used for people who are just digging by hand as opposed to tractors and excavators. There's not supposed to be one here. That's what the story is told at the top of the chain. This mine, and I can name it, it's called Shabara. There's not supposed to be one artisanal miner here, according to the consumer-facing tech companies and EV companies buying this cobalt. Lo and behold, I walk into this place, and this is what I see. There's more than 15,000 human beings crammed into that pit, digging by hand. And if you have sound, you hear the mallets, you hear the shouting, you hear the, the grunts. It's a mass of humanity. You might expect to see a scene like this. Okay, we knew that would happen. You heard Josh, the sound. Josh and I already talked about it. Yeah, that was the um, the sound of the mining. I mean, that that was the the, the human beings in that hole, you know, with hammers. Uh, here you go, go Josh. So there's a term that gets used clean cobalt there's no clean cobalt it's not real no no it's all marketing it's all pr it's a fiction just like that place there's not supposed to be any artisanal mining there it's all done industrially that's the that's the story told at the top of the chain and people assume people i mean the, the marketing teams at big tech and ev companies assume well who's going to go down there and actually walk into the place and grab a video that shows, no, it's actually all raw human force that is clanking that cobalt out of the ground. So there's no clean cobalt. I, there's not a single company on planet Earth that makes a device that has a rechargeable battery in it that can reliably and justifiably claim that their cobalt isn't coming from sources like that. Uh, and that's the truth that needs to get out there. That's the truth people need to understand um, uh, because this is a story that goes back generations. There's these fictions told at the top of the chain about what conditions are like at the bottom, and truth seekers have to go find that truth and enlighten civilization so that people, people get agitated about it and want to do something about it. So there's no clean cobalt. Let's just make that totally abundantly clear. Uh, and anyone that claims otherwise uh, is either peddling in falsehoods or is recklessly ignorant of the truth. Are there any industrialized cobalt mines that use machinery and don't use slavery and don't use child labor and don't use these people that live in unimaginable poverty? I've never seen one. And I've been to almost all the major industrial cobalt mines. Here's why I say that. 
Number one, they all or almost all will have scenes like that on them. Thousands of individuals clanking away for a dollar or two a day, okay? They don't have uh, safety equipment. All that stuff, that cobalt's toxic, toxic to breathe. They're breathing it in all day. No masks. No masks. No filtration systems. No gloves. Systems. No, half those guys are in flip-flops. All right? So um, uh, almost all the industrial mines will have scenes like that. So that's number one. Uh, they'll say there are no artisanal miners there. No children there. And if you, like, zoom in, you'll see that amongst that sea of humanity, there are thousands of kids. Teenage boys, in this case, because that requires a certain amount of force to, to, to clank away in that pit. Um, number two, there are hundreds of other artisanal mining sites scattered in the mining provinces outside of industrial mines. There are artisanal miners in the industrial mines, and then just on the other side of the fence, there'll be a sea of humanity digging there as well, because it's not like at the fence, the ore body stops. There's copper, cobalt, other things outside as well. So there'll be hundreds of sites where there are hundreds of thousands of people across the mining provinces digging. Um, all that production is sold right back to the industrial mining companies. So it enters their supply chain as well. And then so they take what they extract with industrial equipment, artisanal miners inside the mine, artisanal miners, including children, outside the mine. It all gets dumped together into the same batch of acids to process and then flows up the chain. And again, no one can reasonably claim that their cobalt, even if they say, that industrial mine, totally clean. Don't believe what Siddhartha is saying. That's a, that's a made up fake video. They can't demonstrate reliably that all the other cobalt being dug up by kids in thousands of sites across the mining provinces isn't also flowing into their supply chain. Is there another source of cobalt in the world that's ethically supplied? So um, last year, so uh, 2021 is the last year there's data, about 72%, almost three-fourths, of the world's supply of cobalt came out of a small patch of the Congo. And then there's like 3% Russia, 3% Australia, 3% Morocco. You know, there's everyone else is 3%. Um, and I don't know what the conditions are there. I imagine in Australia, mining follows standards of dignity and decency and labor and sustainability and so on. Um, uh, but there's not enough cobalt outside of the Congo to meet demand. And demand projections are uh, four, five, six hundred percent increase in cobalt demand in the next decade or two, primarily being driven by adoption of electric vehicles. Each battery pack in an EV requires up to 10 kilograms of refined cobalt. That's a thousand times what's required for a smartphone. So huge demand. Uh, as the world transitions from uh, internal combustion engines to uh, electric vehicles, which is a net good thing, except for the people in the Congo. Uh, so there's not enough other cobalt out there. Even if all the non-Congo cobalt was perfectly sourced, there's not enough other cobalt out there to meet demand. These companies that we talked about that use all this stuff, whether it's electric vehicle companies or cell phone manufacturers, Obviously, they're aware of this. Yes, no question. They have to be. 
have they made any attempts to mitigate this in any way? The truth, Joe, is no, not sufficient efforts. Most of what is done is PR statements, marketing. Um, all these companies will say, we have zero tolerance policies on child labor. We ensure standards of dignity and human rights for every member of our supply chain, down to the mining level. They'll all say this, down to the mining level. Um, and they say it. Uh, and they may throw some money at the odd NGO or uh, coalition or alliance that's meant to be working on these things. Nothing's actually happening on the ground. Uh, and, and that's what my book will demonstrate, you know, as, as I take the reader on the journey from place to place, mind to mind. Um, there's this fiction that exists outside of the Congo of what companies are doing and what the conditions are like. And then there's the reality. Um, underneath the, those layers of obfuscation, there's the reality. There's the truth on the ground. Um, and not one company, not one business alliance, not one uh, entity up the chain is doing remotely enough to ensure that the, the dignity and human rights uh, of the people of the Congo, not to mention the environment, because all the mining companies there are just polluting and clear-cutting forests to build and expand mines. They're not doing nearly enough to respect the people and earth of the Congo um, while we outside enjoy our, you know, renewable, gadget-driven lifestyles. 843-661-0937 is our number. Hour number two on a Tuesday morning. Apologize. Uh, we've been scurrying about. I say we. They've been scurrying <laughs> about trying to get the stream uh, back up and running. I don't know where we are. Ref, can you update? It's not working yet. So okay. the the Windows, for, for people that play with computers a lot, Windows forced an update on our streaming encoder this morning. And uh, and now the computer won't recognize the network. So okay. as typical, it fixed probably one thing and broke some more. So I'm still trying to get it up and running, so apologize for that. Okay, good deal. Um, Fox News Radio's Eben Brown is with us this morning. Before we go to Eben, I want to give a real live report. This may be helpful to Eben. He's the professional. I'm not. But I get a text last night at, hold on, at 707 from an elected official that, that I grew up with. And you ready? Eben, Eben this, this may be helpful to you. Um, I just talked to Johnny Tanner. He heard it go down <laughs> about 1.30 yesterday. Thought it was about a mile or so away. Shook the house. He thought it was lightning because of the storms. Then he ran into some guys from military yesterday afternoon. He called the DNR hotline. They called him back, set up searches. He thinks some hunters around the Rogers farm found the crash site on some four-wheelers not far behind David Wilson's place back to Boggy Swamp. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, apparently search parties have been going out since yesterday afternoon. My friend, it's a full-blown military operation uh, as we speak. Evan, good morning. I don't know if that helps. I'm um, filling the blanks. Remember Boggy Swamp. Yeah, Boggy Swamp, <laughs> and, uh, Swamp. And, and Rogers yeah. Farm. That's um, Rogers Farm. Yeah, and and, yeah. and, and, and Evan, yeah, the, the, but the irony here, and, and there is some irony here, they, this is the same swamp and, and wooded area that Francis Marion made famous back in the day uh, during the American Revolution. I'm very familiar with, with where this is. It's about six miles from where I grew up, maybe eight miles from where I grew up. And there's a lot of designated areas about the Francis Marion, you know, um, 
uh, freedom fighting against the British. So once again, there's a military operation in the swamps of, of Williamsburg and Florence County, this time looking for a missing jet. So the floor is yours, Evan. Thank you. Yes. The, well, you know, there, there's an old uh, joke about how to give directions, you know, in, in the South. And that is everything has to do with, you know, you, you go about five miles. You don't give out you don't give out distances. You say <laughs> you go down this way, you get to, to Jones's ranch and then you're going to take a right. That's right. So there you go. You just kind of lived up to that. But uh, um, yeah, you know, this is uh, perplexing, of course. This we have been uh, flying these F-35s for for some time now, uh, and they are the newest and supposedly the bestest uh, uh, military fighter jet that we have. It's an international program. We've, we've shared this technology with other nations, but there have been a number of mishaps in its short life, uh, and the program itself has become very, very expensive. I think soup to nuts, uh, the F-35 program has cost something like $1.7 trillion dollars. Um, which is incredibly expensive. And uh, let's just start off by saying, thankfully, the pilot is okay, uh, recovered alive after ejecting, uh, and um, I, was taken to a hospital and I think just simply evaluated, but is, is relatively safe. Uh, and, uh, and But what was, I think, concerning for so many people was that they didn't know where the plane ended up. And uh, they were asking people, hey, if you've spotted this to... To, to call it in, um, that that's a bit perplexing, you know, especially in a time where uh, we've got these weather balloons, quote unquote, from China flying over the place. You know, we we just, you know, I think it's going to be a little freaky to some people that a a very expensive modern advanced fighter jet just seems to have a problem. Apparently, not too long after takeoff, the pilot has to eject, and that thing crashes somewhere, and no one really knows where it is. Now, this debris field that's been located, all we know so far that it's been identified as a debris field. It hasn't been officially, I think, confirmed that it is, in fact, this missing aircraft. Uh, it probably is. Let's, let's not create a, you know, a conspiracy theory here. But uh, I think it's un unsettling that uh, for however many hours, we didn't know where that thing was, and it was essentially unguarded. Eben, the, um, the local Southernism in play today from my good old boy buddies that I associate with occasionally are, we've got tracking collars on hunting dogs. I mean, surely yeah. you don't misplace, you know, an $80 million or $80 billion aircraft. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it couldn't have an Apple AirTag on it. You know, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. Thank you very much, Evan, for the update. You got it, guys. Uh, yeah, I get a text last night from a buddy of ours. Somebody, your Rev knows, but he's a good friend of mine. Uh, he sends me, and I know exactly where he's talking about when he talks about David Wilson, his Aggie Bottom, and all these. Um, it, it's over the Williamsburg, Florence County kind of. It's the county line mm -hmm. over there, and um, well, I, I got interested yesterday when I started seeing these reports. Of course, the the jet was missing. I was reading conspiracy theories all over the internet, of course, as to where it was or what happened, or it showed up in Havana or something. Um, but then I, I, I read that there was a story that the Florence County Sheriff was involved somehow. I said, well, so this is getting a little more interesting, a little more closer to home anyway. And then you shared those texts with me last night. So I guess, uh, as Eben said, it's not official, but it seems like they've located well, the, the F-35. We, we should have known it was a boggy swamp. Right. I mean, that, no, that's the first place. That, that, sure. I mean, yeah. you know, that's where you normally find, 
you know, $80 billion fighter jets <laughs> at, at Boggy Swamp. Yeah. <laughs> behind Dave, where David Wilson and his crowd go on four-wheelers, you know, to scout right. hunting hunting property. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Here's Breeze. Good morning. Guys, I don't mind telling you, I'm very, very upset. I'm upset with myself. And i tell you what, as much as I'd like to make this whole political, your, your segment on Cobalt, any human being that hears that, and you know what, kid, I told y'all yesterday that the whole electric vehicle thing is evil, and it is. I knew about the cobalt mining. I've read about the numerous times, so I know the damage that it does to the continent, to earth, you know, and everything. But I knew all of that. You know, and I found myself, you know, here we are again on the side of the 1969 Woodstockers, and the Democrats sound like the 1969 Republicans. Who cares if they, uh, they're they dying in these mines? We're making a profit. But I tell you, on a, on a, great, on a, on a far greater note, any Christian out there, and like I said, I'd like to sit there and feel real smug about these Democrat Tesla drivers, which most of them are. But guess what, Kenny? We're, we are in, we're as knee-deep in sin as they are. Because I am holding a phone with cobalt in it. And, and everything y'all have in that studio has cobalt in it. All of the computers that run our business has cobalt in it. And all these other minerals. Maybe not to the extent of a Tesla, but it has it. And, you know, and not only not only that, I mean, every battery, every lithium battery, I, I'm assuming, has it in there, too. So we right now, every last daggone one of us, the good Lord's looking down at us and saying, I am very, very, very disappointed. And I don't know the answer because we do our business on on a cell phone and on a computer. And we run a lot of our stuff on lithium batteries. And I tell you, this daggone, it, it is as convicting as any sermon I've ever heard from a pastor convicted me of my sin. And I tell you, I, I don't know the daggone answer, but I will tell you, boys, so serious. I am very, very convicted and upset right now, and we all should be, every last daggone one of us. I mean, this is, and in fact, anybody that buy anything we wear made in China, we're basically daggone wearing something that some slave pretty much had to make. And we ought to all be ashamed of ourselves, every last one of us. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. And I'm not trying to condemn anybody to anywhere or anything. I mean, I, I'm I'm as hypocritical on this as anyone. What led me down this road? Because Rev asked, "What? Well, what in the world? What? What possesses you to want to watch a video about cobalt mining on the Joe Rogan podcast?" And and I go back to what I said in the, in the previous hour. I built truck beds for a living. I knew how nasty that business was, but I knew the nastier side of that business was the steel mills. I know what what um what what metal manufacturing does. I mean it's um and one of the greatest manu- metal manufacturers in the world is in got a big presence in South Carolina being Nucor. I mean they, they they try to be as environmentally fr- as environmentally friendly as they can. Um but but we're told over and over and over by the coastal elite liberal that this is clean energy. That we're doing the humane thing. We're saving the planet, right? I mean, you know, the climate is warming, and if we don't do the right thing, then, you know, shame on all of us. And we're not doing the right thing. The, the right thing would be to have a legitimate debate about how, da- how, how much damage 
does the burning of fossil fuel do to the planet? I mean, let's have a serious debate about that. And how much damage does mining for minerals? Because once again, I knew that metal manufacturing was a nasty business. I had to believe that mineral mining was even nastier than that. And it is. I mean, there are a lot of studies out there that show that the, the largest overall amount of industrial pollutants in the world today is mineral mining. About 37, 36, 37% of all industrial pollutants are in the name of um, mining, the mining industry, mineral and, uh, you know, element mining. Second is, um, you know, metal manufacturing, 12%. And then you've got chemical manufacturing at about 9%. And then you've got oil and gas extraction at about 7%. Now, that's not the burning of fossil fuel. That's the extracting of oil and gas. But, but the liberal elite will convince you that the humane and decent and moral and ethical thing to do is to buy an electric car. And that's just not the truth. It's probably more immoral, more unethical, more inhumane to buy an EV today than it is to buy a gas-guzzling, you know, F-250 or three-quarter ton Chevrolet pickup. I mean, you're probably doing better by humanity and the planet by buying a gas-guzzling diesel or gasoline three car. And I'm talking about one ton. Let's go to the one ton. I mean, that's the heavier payload. I mean, you can pull more cargo. I mean, that's that's real. I mean, that's a beast. But they don't want to talk about it. Mean, of course they don't want to talk about that, Reb. And I think Breeze is on the word. The smugness that comes along with these coastal elites like John Kerry and Al Gore and his disciples. And there are a lot of disciples out there that have bought into this transition from one energy to another. And all I'm trying to do is illustrate there is no clean energy. I mean, stop with that nonsense. I mean, we got to wean ourselves off fossil fuel and, and, and go to a cleaner energy. We're not going to a cleaner energy. I mean, there's nothing cleaner about EVs today than there is oil, gas extraction to the burning of fossil fuel. That's the point I'm trying to make. And I hope some were convicted by, by the story of someone who actually went to the mine. And if you don't believe these companies have marketing firms and, and politicians and, you know, the government in general that just lie to the American people and lie to the people around, around the world. But I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I mean, I've got an iPhone. I mean, I don't have an EV, and I hope I never drive an EV. I'm very comfortable. I, I got my driver's license at 16 years old. I, I, you know, for 44 years, I've driven an internal combustion engine, and I'm pretty cool with that. I mean, I've had some I like better than others, but I'm pretty cool with that. And I'd like to play it out to the end you know, driving something that I want to drive, not government deciding for me what I need to drive or not. But for those out there that believe we're doing the right thing by humanity and the planet by transitioning from a internal combustion engine to an EV, you're just terribly misled or ignorant. I mean, I think the guy said, you know, ignorant of the facts. I mean, ignorance is bliss, I guess. And you can deny, you can, uh, what is it, deny a culpability? Uh, what, what am I trying to say here? Uh, deniable culpability. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, there's a plausible deniability. Yeah, plausible deniability. There you go. I mean, you're not culpable is what I'm saying because you don't know any better. I didn't know any better. Man, I didn't know they were mining for cobalt of the Congo and China was practicing slave labor. Well, now you do. I mean, now you do. And this is oh, the debate. The, he's lying. Well, I mean, well, I mean this is <laughs> the debate. That's the answer. Well, sure. I mean, that's right. He doesn't know any better. Right. Um, and, you know, somebody that listens to the show sent you a couple of emails 
yesterday talking about the American abundance of lithium. Okay. Mm-hmm. You, you, the lithium's not the key, guys. The cobalt and nickel are the key. I mean, the, the, the entire EV industry is predicated upon longer ranges, shorter charges. You can't do that without cobalt or nickel. I mean, there's a debate in EV world. Can we do it with less cobalt and more nickel? Well, I mean, guess what? The majority of nickel's mined under Chinese influence. So, so it's, it's just it's absurd to believe that, that you know, and, and once again, you, you've got a coastal elite driving a Tesla or a coastal elite driving some sort of electric, I don't know, Toyota, BMW, Mercedes. They're partial to Volvos and Subarus, um, you know, with those Save the Planet bumper stickers on the back um, and trying, trying to get, create this guilty conscience with you. But I'll say it again. If you're driving a one-ton diesel Ford or Chevrolet pickup today and someone beside you is driving a, a brand-new $100,000 Tesla, they're damaging the planet more. Or they've had a hand. That purchase they made had a hand in damaging the climate and planet far more than you. So stop with the guilty complex. There is no clean way to provide energy for the largest economy in the world. I mean, they just didn't. And, and once again, in my life, when I manufactured truck beds, I knew some of the skinny on the steel industry. I knew it was pretty nasty to make steel. And when I said, okay, I, I don't know, six months ago, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going like, okay, if it's nasty to make steel, it's got to be real nasty to make batteries. I mean, I can't imagine how nasty it is. And then I read, they got to have magnesium and cobalt and nickel and aluminum. And I'm going like, wow, that could be real nasty. Well, once again, the largest overall amounts of industrial pollutants by far is the mining industry. Forget slave labor. I mean, it's hard to, but forget slave labor. Forget China owning about 80% of the contracts of extracting and processing, delivering cobalt to the marketplace. It's absurd. But, but once again, um, Salon Magazine had an article. The New York Times had a story. MSNBC reported that. And the United Nations agreed to this. And some of you are foolish enough to believe that. I just happen to not be one of those fools. Let's go to the phone. John in Florence, good morning. You're on the air. Uh, I guess you call him a, 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 well, Mr. Ambassador. Um, that's great about the cobalt cars you're talking about. But anyway, uh, they uh, some guy was on, I read his book. He was on Fox a couple of times. He uh, talked about he was no conservative by any means. He was one of these with these environmental extinction people or whoever it was. But he got to the point where he said the cleanest thing to do was go nuclear and then use the hydrogen from the nuclear to power cars, which, you know, Toyota is pretty smart. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But I was calling you about the F-35 in Hemingway. The guy punched out um, and left his autopilot on it. Where does the, where does the crazy billion-dollar plane go but the Hemingway? Anyway, <laughs> I'll just leave you at that. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate <laughs> that. It's a pretty crazy story. Um, it is. But but is there not something you do before you eject? I mean, is there something that doesn't automatically happen if you eject uh, from the plane? I don't know. Never you, you flown. You have to think that they thought that through in design. I, you, you think that. But, but, I mean, it's the government. Take a break. Back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937 is our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Joe in Hartsville. Good morning, Joe. You're on. Yeah, good morning, guys. Uh, 
one one of the biggest problems we got is the, the government is getting us on both ends of the deal. I mean, they they give all this money out to the environmental groups, which sue the government and the EPA, and then they settle with them and give them more money. And then on the other end, they're giving subsidies to the EVs. So we're getting it in both sides of the aisle. But the, people don't realize Earth is a carbon-based system. We, as individual human beings, are a carbon-based life form. We breathe out carbon dioxide. I mean, carbon in the atmosphere in a 100,000-seat stadium is like four seats. You know what the most prevalent thing in the atmosphere is? It's water. So these lithium batteries... They just found 40 million tons or somewhere out in Nevada and Idaho and edge of Oregon. And the, the crazy environmentalists won't, won't let them mine for it. But a lithium battery, every time you charge it, it loses life. So if you get an hour out of these weed eater batteries they come out with, you know, you charge it, and then you get, like, 58 minutes, and then you charge it again, you get 55, and it's the same thing with a car. I mean, eventually, they go to, and they're expensive as all get out, but the best thing we could have is, like the guy was talking earlier, nuclear. They don't want nuclear. Nuclear produces hydrogen, which would be the best power for cars because it's byproduct. Is is water, H2O. That's what comes out of the hydrogen engine, is water. So they don't want the solutions. They're a degrowther, and the only way to get to zero-based carbon is to get rid of all humans. So that's what we're dealing with. You know, they they don't teach science anymore, and these people talk about they're, they're the scientists. Just take a look at what the composition of the body is, what our DNA is made out of. We're carbon-based. Y'all have a good one. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937. Lithium batteries for dummies. You ready? I mean, I can understand this, and I'm sure you can. And it does kind of help you understand, okay, I'm not an engineer. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a designer. I'm not a builder. But but sometimes I read something, and I'm going, okay, I get that. The gist of the lithium battery is there are three major components. You ready? And I don't think Rev knew this. I mean, he knows more about electronics than I do. Um, there's a cathode. There's an electrolyte. And there's an anode. The, 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 the cathode is the positively charged uh, electrode. I mean, that, that's the side of the battery that... Um, that when a, when a bat, that's where the storing happens. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the crux of the electric vehicle is, can we have short enough charges and long enough ranges? I mean, that makes it efficient, right? I mean, the Rev would consider buying an electric car if they could charge it for 15 minutes and drive it for 600 miles, right? I mean, that, that's when you would begin saying, okay, I mean, there, there's a reason to consider that. But if you've got to charge it for 30 minutes to drive it an hour, 
or two hours, you're like, ah, oh, screw that. I mean, I, I don't want any part of that. That doesn't make sense. So, so the cathode is, I mean, that's where the, the combination of cobalt, nickel, magnesium, iron, aluminum, um, now, now what sort of combination? I don't have any idea, but that is where the energy is stored. So, and, and, and kind of in the middle of the battery, there's this, um, c- kind of a lithium liquid or gel that acts as a conduit that transfers that stored energy in the cathode to the, ah, the powering energy in the anode. Does that make sense? I mean, I'm not going to explain it any more than that because I don't understand it any better. I mean, I learned, I know more than I did before. I still don't understand it, but. But I mean, you understand now you got a store side of the battery where the energy is stored. You've got a conduit that transfers the energy that is stored into powering the vehicle where the energy is stored. But that's the critical part of this. I mean, once again, the composition of the cathode determines the battery's performance. I mean, that in essence is the point I'm, I'm trying to make. So if we want longer ranges and, and shorter charges, we've got to figure out, you know, a better way to design, build, maintain, charge, uh, the cathode, and I believe in technology. I believe in human innovation. I think we'll figure out a better way to do it. But we're not going to do it without some combination of nickel and and and, and carbon, and excuse me, and, and cobalt. And the, when when the elite liberal tells the gas guzzling country boy driving an F two fifty or Chevrolet um, three quarter ton pickup that he's you know he's immoral or unethical by driving that. In all honesty, he's doing the planet and future generations a, a, a kind of a, a better service than that elite. I mean, you're pulling up into your driveway at the Hamptons in your Tesla or, or your EV, your, your BMW or Mercedes EV, and you've got this kind of nose stuck up in the air. And here comes the guy that cuts your grass. I know you believe in mows your lawn. I'm a cut your grass kind of guy. <laughs> um, mow your lawn, cut your grass is all sort of the same. Where I come from, we cut grass. We don't mow lawns. Um but, but anyway, the guy pulls up in his F-250, and the smugness um, comes about this person living at the Hamptons, probably a Democrat, probably a liberal, and um, why don't you get rid of that gas-guzzling, you know, fossil fuel-burning behemoth? And, and, if, and if we knew enough to be argumentative and informed, we could say, you're doing the planet a, better, a greater disservice than I ever thought about. Because once again, um, the extraction of minerals from the planet Earth is the number one industrial pollutant man has ever known. I mean, you know, for, forget burning of fossil fuel. That's a debate. I mean, that's a fair debate. What sort of um, effect or impact on the planet does the burning uh, of fossil fuel have? I mean, there's no doubt it emits carbon. I mean, we know that to be true. But, but I believe that the, the extraction of gas and oil, the burning of gasoline, diesel, kerosene, whatever, uh, the, the carbon-emitting fossil fuel-based energy is nowhere near as damaging to the planet as mining is. Mining produces 36% of all industrial pollutants. How many liberals or conservatives know that? And it's not my job to lecture nor educate, but it's my job to have a debate. And I think if we had a serious debate today, and you were a true, honest, unfiltered environmentalist, you'd say stop with the mining right now. I mean, these guys extracting oil and refining it to, to gasoline and putting it into cars so somebody can come. I mean, they're friendlier to the planet than this mining. But most people are motivated by something other than pursuing the truth. Let's go to the phone. Tricia in Florence, good morning. You're on the air. 
Hi, Ken. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me. One of the things that I am particularly been made aware of here recently is the push to put our farms on EVs in harvesting and combines and planting on these big machines that we know can't be very uh, sustainable because you can only harvest for so long on a battery and putting the breadbasket of the world on battery. That's my thought. Thanks. Thank you. Appreciate it. We touched on that a little bit yesterday. I mean, I don't want to go into detail and specifics about torque because I don't know exactly what torque is needed uh, to, you know, to pull a disc or to, you know, to, to plow a field or to clear a lot to build houses on. I mean, you know, you've got bulldozers and backhoes and um, road plows, and you've got farming equipment. You've got tractors and combines and harvesting equipment. Well, there's no doubt electric motors can create tremendous torque. Sure. I mean, sure they can. Can they? Yeah. I mean, aren't locomotive aren't, aren't locomotives uh, propelled by electric motors in conjunction with another power source, yeah, the, right? Oh, yeah, that, that huge diesel engine Correct. creates that, that, the power. And, and I don't think we're arguing. I mean, let, let's, let's, be, let's be honest. I don't think you nor I are arguing against electric vehicles. No. Let's just tell the whole story. And we're not being told the entire story. That There are people out there that genuinely believe, Rev, that, that clean energy is, is real, that there's a way. I mean, there's some some lucky leprechaun out there somewhere <laughs> um, that has figured out a way to create a power source that that does not damage at all the planet, zero carbon emitting. So 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 I mean Biden says that. Hmm. I mean Joe Biden says well, over and over yet. again we're going to get our goal and objective. We're an ambitious country. We're an ambitious administration. We're going to try to get zero carbon emitting. Uh, power generating or power based economy by 2035. The absurdity of that. So, so what if a reporter was honestly and sincerely doing their job and dedicated to holding powerful people accountable? And he said, um, "President Biden, can I ask you a question? Yeah, and in uh, in the electric vehicle, isn't a large part of the electric vehicle powering source cobalt and nickel? It is. Where do we get that cobalt and nickel from?" And what sort of um, impact does that have uh, humanitarian-wise, um, you know, um, human rights? I mean, we, we profess to be a big believer in human rights until we don't. I mean, th- there's always been a balance of human rights and profit. And, and recent America's probably sided on the, you know, the, the profit category far more than we have um, the human rights. But th- th- there's just a lot more to this story. And, and I want to make sure people understand, I'm not arguing against the electric vehicle. I'm not arguing against renewable energy by any stretch of the imagination. What I am arguing is being told only one side of the story. And, and it, it's a very complicated. I said at 6.05 this morning, this could be one of the most complicated issues America's had to deal with in a long, long, long time. I mean, it is a matter of national security. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, let, let's argue. Let, let's say that Gavin Newsom runs and wins. And he gets even more extreme on the climate. He gets more extreme on climate mm-hmm. change and renewable energy. And I mean, forget clean energy. There's no such thing. But but he gets he gets even more zealous than the Biden administration is. He wants to turn America to California. I mean, you know, Biden's plan is 2035. Gavin Newsom's plan is 2032. Gavin Newsom's um, legislation introduced is not going to allow an, 
uh, a non-electric vehicle to be sold in California after 2032. <laughs> Let me say that again. One of the 50 states in America are going to make it illegal to buy or sell an electric vehicle, a new. Now, there'll be some, you know, some of the older vehicles. I think there's some, uh, well, I mean, Gavin Newsom's against that. I mean, he wants to basically export all the internal combustion engine. But some of the um, some of the members of the House or the legislative body are saying, no. I mean, if, you're, if Josh has a car, well, we got to let Josh keep driving that car. We can't make him, you know, sell his old car and buy a new one. But they're going to disallow the sale of new internal combustion engines in California after the year 2032. But that's what, eight years from now? That's an absurd premise. That's an absurd um, offering to make as a governor of one of the major states in America. And California's a big deal. I mean, it's what, the ninth biggest economy in the world by itself. I mean, it's a huge statement to make when a governor of, you know, a, a very consequential state in America says something as bizarre as that. I mean, it's reckless. It's ignorance. It's not understanding. Um, I mean, if you sat down with Gavin Newsom and explained that the process, the entailed process of extracting cobalt and then nickel and how important that is to the, once again, you ready? The, the longer range, shorter charge time. I mean, what would Newsom say? I, I just think these guys commit without thinking. And ladies, I think liberals uh, live in fantasy land. I've said that. I think they believe that life is somewhat like a flight simulator. And if we get it wrong, we just get out that flight simulator, get into a no, we'll try it again. It's kind of the faculty lounge mindset. You know, it's it's kind of a hypothetical, theoretical exercise. No. I mean, th- these are real decisions we're making. I mean, they're monumental decisions we're making. And if we turn our back on fossil fuel and we decarbonize our economy, we will fast track. We will fast track to a secondary power and it will we will no longer. And that's why I believe China is playing the long game. I mean, China controls a lot of the cobalt mining, yeah, that's a, scary a, part. a lot of the nickel mining. I mean, you heard from the expert that, that about 80% of all the cobalt mined in the world is um is is basically put in the marketplace by China. Somewhere around seventy-two or three percent of cobalt mining is done in the Congo. Every ounce of that cobalt is brought to market by China. I mean, if we're really going to progress from um, and I'm talking about really regress, I'll use the word progress, but it's really regress from the internal combustion engine to the electric vehicle. We'll be more at the mercy of China then we are at the mercy of the Middle East in providing, um, and, and I've said it a hundred times, and we'll take a break, Josh. If we continue to be as dumb, I mean, that's a real technical word. If we continue to be as dumb with our debt and energy, your kids, my kids, your grandkids, my grandkids will grow up in a Chinese century, and we will be at the end of the American century. Mm-hmm. Take a break. Back in a few. I got to believe there's a college professor somewhere in America listening to this show and sees great value in my understanding of the periodic table. I mean, I, I just got to <laughs> believe there's an offering uh, that, I, I, you know, I don't have to be tenured, uh, but, but there's got to be some academic offering in the making for me to come on a college campus and enlighten <laughs> young men and women. Dr. Bolt, history chair, mm-hmm. Francis Marion University is with us. Good Can morning. I count on you as one of my references? Absolutely. I, I, I would say you're so gangster, so metal 
you have your own spot on the periodic table. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I got, yeah, okay. I, I don't want to teach. I just want my, my own spot on the periodic table. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. John in Argentina this morning. Hi, John. You're on. Oh, John in Argentina. Hey, Ken. Hey, John. How are you? Doing good. Um, got a little fun fact for you and then some really good news. We are waiting. Okay, fun fact. Do you know what the percentage of CO2 in the atmosphere is? No idea. Okay, I didn't either until I looked it up the other day. <laughs> it's 0. 0.04 of 1%, four one-hundredths of 1%. Okay. So that's what everybody's so excited about. All right. What is the other nugget you had for us? <laughs> okay, the good news there's no such thing as fossil fuels. Okay. Thank you, John. Oh, Appreciate it. 843-661-0937. Yeah. John took a while to say that the amount of carbon or CO2, I think is what he said, which is carbon. I mean, it's um, 0. 0.04. No, yeah, 0.04%. And then there's no such thing as, what did he say? Uh, no such thing as fossil fuels. Yeah, no such thing as fossil fuel. Uh, okay. Eight four three six six one. And I think there was a little delay. He said he was calling in from Argentina, so there's a little delay uh, yeah. in the thing there. Slowed it, slowed it down a little bit. I got you. Um, I didn't want to be disrespectful, but I, the delay. Uh, you need to tell me the delay before we yeah, get well, to. I that. didn't know because I, I thought we were having trouble there <laughs> um, communicating. Let's go to the phone. Uh, here's Daphne and Dylan. Good morning, okay. Daphne. Dylan's closer than Argentina, Daphne. right, Daphne? <laughs> That's true. All right, right. <laughs> uh, I don't know whether you recall, Ken, but when your three, when our three representatives were on your program about the new battery plant in Florence, I called and I asked two questions. Where will the material come from to make those batteries and what type? of uh, environmental damage will it do? Well, they the only answer that I got was that the experts had evaluated the environmental impact. But uh, at that time, I knew that China had control of 85% of the materials. Uh, also, I, I think common sense. EVs will require millions of kilowatt hours all the while, Biden's administration is shutting down fossil fuels. They canceled two weeks ago seven leases in Alaska. Also, it bothers me that the Republicans are in red states are falling for the federal money to enact green energy. Texas uh, converted 25% of their grid to solar and wind. And during Freezola, they found out that that doesn't work. And they now are having to subsidize gas to back up wind and solar, while California blackouts are having to buy electricity from other states. So those are the things that are alarming, because remember back in April of 21, I tried to find out about ACT. 52, which allowed certain green energy groups to come in and dictate to Duke Energy to switch some of our grid over to solar and wind. 
Um, also, Elon Musk is now manufacturing some Teslas in China. Thank you. Thank you, Daphne. You appreciate that. Um, the point I want to illustrate today, and, and I want to be careful here, I am for all sources of energy. I mean, whatever the market decides is the best way to power a vehicle or heat a home or, you know, get bolt to the studio. I mean, I'm serious. I mean, I want the market to dictate that. Um, Yeah. I mean, you know, and I'll accept some degree of oversight. I mean, you know, I know the, I mean, the, the, the free market can't be the wild, wild west. I mean, accept some degree uh, of government oversight. I think we need regulations. I think we need um, government agencies overseeing the behavior of um, the private sector. I'll accept that. I'm not full-blown libertarian. I got a bias about me that's very libertarian. But but I just believe less government, more innovation within the private sector, the better off uh, we're, we're all going to be. And that is kind of a Jeffersonian oh, concept. Right. And, it's, and it's been a fundamental of the American experience since day one. Sure, sure. Give us give us the choice. Give us the option. Don't sort of force our hands and sell it. This is the way that you have to do it. So give us and let the free market then. It, it'll, sort it to all, it'll sort itself out in the end. But Dr. Bolt, did, did a lot of that change? I mean, to me, and I, and I look at these historical moments in American history, and we've had a lot. Yeah. To me, the day the day we started down the road of the big deal, or the new deal, new I'm deal, sorry. Yeah. I mean, the, the new the, deal the was the day yeah. that and I understand the concern and confusion, the chaos of that period yep. of time. I understand the uncertainty of the private sector. I mean, it looked to government to do certain things government historically had not done. Um, but that, I mean, to me, the last 100 years, the American people have become more comfortable with no, government sure, no, intervening I, itself in some no, of look, these decisions. 1933 is, is a watershed moment in American history once you get the uh, the New Deal uh, in place. And it just it. A uh, big brother of the government, it's 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 here to stay moving. You're not gonna put that toothpaste back in the tube. And so, but before the New Deal, there'd be a in a times of a crisis. The question will is uh, is if the government gonna get involved. After the New Deal, we've answered that question. Now it's how, in what way the government is gonna get involved, no matter what. That is in fact here to stay. And you get World War, you get World War Two is right on the heels of the New Deal. There was never really a chance to kind of reset. And so you have 20 years, essentially, and then, now you're into the Cold War. And so, again, it's a, the good old days sort of of laissez-faire, if you will, uh, limited government involvement. They're gone. And, again, it's a, there's no way it's, it's ever you're going to unwind that. So was the New Deal the end of Jeffersonian government? Was that the last nail to the coffin of what we'll say the, um, the Jeffersonian run? Because yeah. in all honesty, I mean, I think you'll agree with me, from the cons- from the inception of our nation, the beginning of our nation, until the Civil War, I mean, it was right, largely a Jeffersonian deals. government. Sure. They were in the ascendancy, absolutely. And, and then, no doubt. and then Lincoln. I mean, I don't want to say lost his way. He was with a Lincoln had a very unique challenge. Yeah. And he took he allowed the government to accept responsibilities. Well, Hamiltonian means is what preserved I mean, the union without yeah. without question. And then I mean that that would have been in the so so. so but, but did Jeffersonian government resurge yeah, you're, after right. the Civil War? It, it, it took a little while sure. right, for the Democratic Party to kind of find its feeding, its footing again. But no, by the end of the 20th century, by the start of the 20th century, right, Jeffersonian ideals in the 1920s. I mean, you have three Republican presidents, very, very hands-off, minimalist approach. And the New Deal, it's, it's a complete 180 in American politics from this time because the trend had been very— Jeffersonian throughout the 1920s. And of course, this sort of hands-off approach, the New Deal is able to say, well, look at where it got us. 
All right, the stock market wasn't regulated. It was like the wild, wild west. You know, just a couple of guys could pool their resources, drive up uh, the price of a stock, and then dump it on an unsuspecting public. And so the New Dealers, Franklin Roosevelt, and his words, this is what happens. And so the New Deal is probably an overcorrection, but the Jeffersonian ideals were in such disrepair, uh, had been so discredited as a result of the stock market crash, nationwide unemployment rate of 25%, industrial production down nearly 90%. I mean, just there are terrible, terrible economic indicators across the board. And so the people were sort of clamoring for a change in the New Deals. What do we get out of it? And we've never been able to sort of roll it back. Before we go to the phone, I want to ask you this, because sure. I've always, I want to know, you're, you're, a, you're an official historian. I'm not. Um, Got a few people fooled. Well, I mean, but, but I've always questioned, talking about Jefferson and the Jeffersonian way, I've always questioned how Jefferson said grace over the Louisiana Purchase. <laughs> it, was, it was too good of a deal to pass up. And at the end of the day, Jefferson wants us to be a nation of farmers. Uh, the, the farmer is More the farmland. Old, he doubled the size of the country. He said, however, we're going to be a nation of farmers for 1,000 years. He was off by about 950 years, but <laughs> it, it fit into his vision. The farmer is the only one who's free. He's dependent upon no one. All of your guys working in the factories that Hamilton wants, they're dependent upon the boss, the overseer, right? If the factory owner mismanages the money, uh-oh, they're out of a job. You voted in public at this time. So if you're an industrial worker— uh, the guy who's writing your paycheck is going to know who you voted for, so you better vote the way that he wants you to vote. Nobody cares with the farmer, so he is truly free. But no matter <laughs> no matter what you believe about the best way to provide energy for our economy, <laughs> it is a Hamiltonian model. I mean, there's That's no doubt about it. Yeah. When the government sets requirements and, right, and, and regulations and stipulations and, to some degree, mandates. I mean, you know, um, the federal government is basically sure. arguing. I mean, they—and they, and I'll, I'll interpret this, and, and I want to get your take on this. So the federal government has not said to the auto manufacturers, by 2035, two of every three vehicles you sell must be EVs. But the emission standards. That's how, I mean, they they have no right. choice. I mean, if you can't emit exactly. so much carbon, you got to build the electric Your vehicle. Your hand is forced. Sure. I mean, but but you would agree that is the absolute Hamiltonian model in action. Yeah. You're, you're forcing. You're you're choking choking off. I mean, I drive a a, a Chevy Silverado. I mean, I'm certainly not uh, towing this this party line. I can't imagine. And, and I, I would imagine a lot of us. I'd probably hold my nose and say, "All right, if you, I'd, I'll drive an electric vehicle." I want to pay the, the same price. I mean, so you're going to force me to drive something I'm not comfortable with, and I'm going to have to pay twice as much for it, and all the parts and labor, if there's any maintenance on it, is going to be exponentially more than that. So you got to make it worth my while, at least in my opinion. And so I'm hoping the day doesn't come. But right, you, you connect the dots, and at some point it's like, well, that, that, that eight-cylinder diesel – Chevy out there, you're not going to be able to find it Correct. anymore. And in, in California, you have 2032. Right. Let's go to the phone. Here is Trouble Making Tim in Florence. Good morning, Tim. Hey, good morning, guys. How are y'all? Hey, good Tim. morning. Hey, I was just going to bring up a point. So I know a lot of people have called in, and they probably have Googled all their stuff that they see about EV. But I was recently at a, uh, a auto event in Ohio, right? And so there was 125 auto mechanics there as well with a major auto affiliate, uh, you know, sponsoring. So they pushed, Hey guys, if you're working on EV vehicles, you know, you're, you're, you're part of the change. Well, they asked how many people are working on them. Can one person raise their hand out of 125 mechanics? So 
it's going to require more training than ever before to work on EVs, which, look, it's not like you can go out and pop the hood like your dad will teach you how to work on the car anymore. That's, that's a big problem, number one. Number two, the other problem that you're going to have is that you're, you're literally now, we don't want there to be two-thirds EVs on the road, but Tesla is paying $45 an hour. The UAW is saying that now all of their people are asking for 136 an hour. Unions are a big problem. So even though we are upset at the government, I, which I totally am with you, Ken, you know that. But I also think we need to look in the mirror and go, why would we ask for three times more than what the EV guys are working for on the other side of it? So just a couple things to look at that the payment that we're going to give people to work on cars is three times more. You're going to drive the price up and EV is going to be a lot cheaper very, very soon. I'll take it off the air. Thank you, Tim. Appreciate it. You know, I read yesterday in something in the wall street journal, might've been Bloomberg that the, um, the UAW negotiation, um, Tesla has a 25% labor cost advantage yeah. over Ford and GM today. That goes to 67%. If, um, if the UAW, Gets the, the, the you know big auto manufacturers now they're not but there'll be a negotiation yeah. they'll they'll eventually be a settlement here the um, yeah uh, the the thing with Tesla and 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 Bolt I'll get your take here I mean this is not about early American history at all but I mean you're not confined to that single <laughs> that single subject or issue you're a smart guy with a lot of opinion but it seems to me that Tesla was a technology company trying to become an auto company and and now they're kind of a um they're 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 both i mean they they really and truly are they're still a a technology company we had the ceo of ford not on the show but we played uh an interview with the ceo of ford and he said tesla's competitive advantage right now is i mean they call tesla by name they have ford has what did he say we have 150 contracts yeah with technology companies and and you know providers and and tesla has everything in-house right the software is theirs the technology is theirs they don't have to pay a fee to this company or that company or another company now the one thing that tesla did that i think is smart um tesla offers their employees stock options as part of their compensation in other words if you believe in this and there are a uh, hundred or so Tesla employees that are worth in excess of $10 million as a result <laughs> of some of the uh, stock options yeah. they enjoy the benefit of uh, very early on. But, but Bolt, I, and I want to get your take here. I'm not opposed to electric vehicles no, by no, any I, stretch of the imagination. I am opposed to the government Tell intervening me. to the degree they have yeah. mandating of consumers, right. Right. not one choice, but rather another. That's just not, what what America was founded no, upon? I, I, I agree. It's 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 something new. It's always been about uh, a choice, an option. And again, it's 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 in some ways it's subtle. In other ways, it's not so subtle. But again, right, you connect the dots, extrapolate the curve, whatever expression you want to use. What is the ultimate goal? Is to, to not have a choice at all, to force you a closed marketplace, and that's not very uh, conducive to to democratic capitalism. At all. Well, I mean, if I wanted to be a right-wing conservative radio show host, I'd say, what is the definition <laughs> I, of communism? Yeah, I didn't want to go the, there. You know, yeah. the state control of the means of production. I'm glad you you, you picked up the, 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 the breadcrumbs. <laughs> I, I, I ran interference for my good academic friend. We, we, we want him to stay tenured and employed. Um, I can take those chances. They expect that craziness out of me, um, not so much out of you. But no, in all honesty, I mean, it opens the door for that debate. That's what it's right. That's I mean, what it, it sounds it, like. You know, and I'm not saying, hey, we're, we're, we're a communist nation. 
but but there are tendencies that we're normalizing sure. where the government does control means of production and by definition i mean that's, that's communism where you, that's where you wind up exactly yeah. I mean, the shoe fits we'll, we'll take a break we'll be back in just a few moments Bold has asked me to come speak to his college class about the construction of a lithium-ion battery, and I've agreed yeah, at a nominal that. fee I will make my way to academic settings to lecture young men and women about um, engineering and chemistry and, and all of that. Is that is that accurate or not? I want a front row seat to that. Exactly. Yeah. Good deal, good deal. Um, let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Mike in Darlington. Hello, Mike. You're on. Uh, good morning, uh, Dr. Bolt. I really enjoy your insight into American history. Thank you, sir. Thank uh, you. It's uh, very enlightening. But uh, th- I, when are we going to accept? My father uh, lived through the Great Depression and uh, lived through World War One and the Great Depression. But uh, he said, I asked him about the New Deal one time, and uh, he said, oh, the New Deal was great if you had a job. The thing is, all the plants closed. It was really hard to get a job anywhere. And he said the only time it loosened up was when World War II came. And uh, so that was a tough thing. But can we just agree that throughout American history, there have been land grabs <laughs> and scams yeah. and speculators, and that the New Deal, along with the Green New Deal, are scams or another variety of scam. Because I don't believe they are what they say they are, and I can't see where putting ourselves at the mercy of China to provide natural resources is a very smart thing to do. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. But, yeah, but, he's, but, he's, he, he is right that the, the standard history book, of course, says that the, FD, the New Deal was a very, very good thing. Economic historians are going to say, well, it's, it's finally World War II that gets us on. I mean, as late as 1937, unemployment was still around 15% nationwide, down only 10% uh, from 33. And so a lot of people certainly benefited, but there was still a long, long way to go. And it was finally, again, once Pearl Harbor is attacked— Within six months, you've got unemployment of just a couple of percent in the country. So it was really World War II that finally uh, got us out of this malaise and got us back to where we were prior to the stock market crash. But, but is it fair to say that because of the beginning or our involvement in the Second World War, the New Deal never had a chance to operate under a normal economic yeah. cycle? Uh, I you, mean, is you, that, is that fair to say? Ar- you could make that argument for sure. Because the New yeah. Deal's enacted in 33. Starts in right. Um, Pearl Harbor's attacked in 41. Yep. So we only had an eight-year window there, and economic cycles very often are longer, much longer than, to 20. than eight oh, years. Exactly. So, so in, in all honesty, the New Deal was enacted, um, and then, I, I, I don't want to say confused, but it was affected by, by our involvement sure. in the Second World War. Right, well, and, and you have to tip your cap to, to Roosevelt. Roosevelt believed in the New Deal and a lot of reforms. Once World War II comes around, Roosevelt had tunnel vision. He didn't care about these these liberal reforms. He was his he was obsessed with winning the war, uh, and so FDR sort of these New Deal liberals, if you were, uh, he he kicked them to the side, and so he brought back the Wall Street bankers, the guys who knew how to make the trains run on time, because winning the war trumped everything else as far as and, and Roosevelt. If we lose the war, we're not going to have a country to reform. So we've got to win the war. That's the most important thing. And and Roosevelt is regarded as one of our best presidents. 
I had two terrible crises to, to have to deal with, uh, an imploding economy and then saving the world for democracy. And we may disagree with the means, of course, asserting big brother, big government, but certainly in the end, right, he, he was victorious in the end. But, it, but, but, but certainly it conditioned the, the post-New Deal politician into believing that Americans will listen to you if sure. you offer higher degrees of intervention that had, than they right. historically become accustomed to. No, it, it, we, as, as you said, this had become the norm. Right, you had this now for no, over a decade in American politics. Uh, even once Dwight Eisenhower, a Republican, comes to the presidency in '53, he said, we, "We we can't undo this. It is here. It is a part of the social fabric. It is in fact here to stay." And so Eisenhower, Nixon, and Reagan kind of tinkered around the edges, but once the toothpaste is out of the tube, it, it ain't going back in. So so let's go to oh, let's jump in once again. Not early American history, yeah. but but is it fair to say that Reagan was a Jeffersonian? In a Hamiltonian world, that's I mean, a good the, way. The, the, the idea, the concept of Reaganism, and I know yeah. he raised taxes and you know yeah, he, he grew the deficit and all that good stuff. So I understand that. I'm not arguing that that he did. You know, but 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 is it fair to say that we were in a Hamiltonian world, and along came maybe the last of the Jeffersonians and Ronald Reagan? And who was Reagan's hero as a president of all the presidents? Reagan went back to Calvin Coolidge. Mm-hmm. He was one of those guys in the 1920s, right? Very very minimalist. Hands off the the classic Lazare slashed cut taxes. Uh, Coolidge cut taxes by around forty percent as president. Ah, the the good old days, if you will. And so, right, Coolidge was kind of the one of the last ones in that Jeffersonian mold. And Reagan maybe at least tried to kind of cloak himself in that manner. But even Reagan certainly knew, right? The big government is in fact, and again, Reagan used big government to to bring down the Soviet Union. So it certainly worked for him in the end. His greatest accomplishment. And Reagan grew Medicaid. I mean, there was a statement Reagan once made, if, if Americans are ready to watch people die on the street, then, then we'll cut Medicaid. I don't <laughs> think they are, therefore we're not cutting um, yeah. Medicaid. I guess the point you and I are agreeing on, there became a pervasive acceptance right. of, of government involvement in certain right. places that would historically been uncomfortable in government I being involved. That's, that's where, and it's, it's sort of a new thing, maybe just in the last 15 to 20 years, I don't know if it's a Trump phenomenon, where we're having this debate again, where we're kind of talking about, well, maybe we... There isn't a, 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 there. There is an alternative to big to Big Brother, and again, you're just not going to unwind nearly a hundred years of policy and the accepted norm overnight. You're going to have to do it bit by bit, incrementally. But it, there's another. There is an option at least. We're you, talking about it. You said something a second ago, three seconds, four seconds ago. The Reagan phenomenon, as as an academic, what does the Reagan phenomenon mean to you? I mean, we say grace over it every day. I mean, we deal yeah. with a, a largely <laughs> Trump-supporting audience, uh, largely Republican voting audience. But, but, but as an academic and someone who tries to put things in historical perspective, today, we, we don't know what 25 years looks like or, or 50 years, but today, what do you make of the Trump phenomenon? Oh, it's, it's fascinating. I, I hope I'm around 30, 40 years from now just to see how we talk about it. Uh, see what the textbooks are going to say. I would imagine when you see the the, the, the chapter on Donald Trump, that mugshot is probably going to be the first thing right there. Unfortunately, I think that's how the narrative is, unless there's a conservative revolution in, in, the, te- in the writing of textbooks moving forward. Yeah, good luck with that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, if, if I had to bet some money, I think that's the, the image that will be used for that. But I know and uh, the narrative hasn't—we're not deciding— 
if he runs again, he's going to run it. If he wins, I think then all bets are are off, and then there's going to be a complete sort of re reevaluation of her. If he loses again to Biden, even if it's close, he's a two-time loser, a, a guy who ran for president three times and didn't win the popular vote any of the times, and that'll be the narrative. But is it fair to say he is a political figure that you, you can't really put in? I mean, if we yeah. still try to put people in the Jeffersonian camp or yeah. the Hamiltonian camp, you know, Trump's got a foot in There's each camp. Gonna say, right, he, he straddles that bridge, if you Probably will, right? Probably more than any president any we've ever had. He's such an outsider. Of course. I mean, this guy has broken every norm. Of course, if there's going to be one guy that doesn't fit into any of the camps, of course it's going to be Donald J. Trump, for sure. And the energy that propelled him to the presidency, and may again, is not conservatism or liberalism. It's populism, populism which right. is not necessarily a governing philosophy, but rather a powerful political emotion. Oh, absolutely right. Lots of disgruntled Democrats, Midwest Rust Belt Democrats who felt the government had forgotten him, came out in 2016, maybe went for Biden, enough of them in 2020. Who knows what's going to happen in 2024? What do you they think break happens back? in 24? I mean, you're from Buffalo. Yeah. You're in touch with that Rust Belt. You understand the deindustrialization of the displacement of workers. Um, you saw that up close and personal. Sure. Oh, yeah. Um, no, I mean, what, what do you perceive to, 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 to may happen in, in 24? There's still a lot of people who have their issues with President Trump January 6th. But then a lot of people the, are going to ask themselves, well, four years, I was better off. All right, the, the economy was better. Gas was a lot cheaper. We didn't have inflation. Do I hold my nose? Do I maybe look the other way and give this guy uh, a second chance? And then politicians have oftentimes said, if, if a gun misfires once, right, you don't, you don't throw it away, right? You reload it and you try it again. So I, I think it's going to be fascinating. I think it's going to be just a handful of states. It's going to be fun, fun to watch for us, and it'll make for good talk radio. Have there ever, <laughs> I mean, it, it, throughout American history, have there been candidates when— I mean, a similar situation today. You just said some may hold their nose. They, they don't yeah. publicly pledge allegiance or loyalty, <laughs> but they do say to themselves, I don't know, man, gas was cheaper. <laughs> right. uh, you know, my, my groceries were less expensive. I had a lot more in my bank and, account. I mean, it seemed yeah. like the economy was doing a little bit better. Is there is Trump the first guy where people were a little bit nervous to say, yeah, I do support him? Or was Andrew Jackson similar to that? Because yeah. we got to let you get your Jackson plug and, in and here. Andrew Jackson, for sure. A lot of people, like, like Trump, you loved him. Or you hated him. And maybe, maybe you could say in our lifetimes, Bill Clinton. A lot of people didn't like the drama. But the argument was, well, have you seen my 401k? You know, of course, I don't like the, the philandering, the extracurricular activities. But man, oh, man, look at the stock market. Look at my retirement account. I'm going to hold my nose. I might call in on a talk radio show and say I hate the guy or tell everybody I'm going to vote against him. But uh, in the privacy of the voting booth, I'm going to pull that lever. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon, unlike any I've ever seen. But now, once again... Um, this guy one in 16 lost in 20, maybe, um, <laughs> and running again in yeah. 24, it should be unique. It should be yeah. uh, very different. Hey, but, another broke the mold, but, but there is a precedent to that. I mean, there is a, a president who won, ran lost. again, lost, yep. ran and again, Grover, and, Grover yeah. Cleveland from the great city of Buffalo, New York. I knew so, that. Mm -hmm. And that would have been what year, Bolt? Uh, let's see. Ran first in 84, lost a close one. And very, very close in 88, uh, and then one again in 92. And the key state was New York State. Uh, and in the, each of those states came to like 0.1% of the vote. And so the, the good old days when New York State was the 
the battleground state. Nowadays, it's you call it two seconds after the polls close. What did he run on? I mean, what was Cleveland's agenda? What was his platform? <laughs> what was unique about his his calls? Well, I don't know if you, if, if you did some research, but Cleveland was a Jeffersonian, a very, very small, minimalist government. Uh, didn't like tariffs, right? Didn't like taxes and was uh, uh, running against the excesses of the Republican government that had been in place since the Civil War. Cleveland is the first Democrat to win the presidency uh, since the Civil War. So he wins barely, loses a close one in 88, and then wins again in 92. Uh, One in 92, the incumbent president, Benjamin Harrison, one of the most obscure presidents in all of American history. Uh, Harrison's wife was dying, and he didn't campaign. And Cleveland kind of said, I'll suspend my campaign uh, as well, in deference uh, to your ailing wife. Uh, and, and a sad moment, but a nice moment in American political history, as when Cleveland kind of won by a bigger margin in 92. When did we allow the public to elect presidents? I mean, what, what, what election was the first that we allowed the general public, <laughs> Joe Blow, um, the Seinfeld watcher that I talk yeah. a lot about? Well, the uh, state of South Carolina didn't allow the people to pick electors until after the Civil War it was pretty much, however, John C. Calhoun. During he, Reconstruction? I mean, is on. that fair to mm-hmm. say? Yeah. It wasn't until 1840. That was the first time we had an election where everybody voted on the same day. And so prior to that, you would vote and the voter early vote often. Guys would get on the votes in Memphis. They'd vote in Tennessee and they'd cross over to Arkansas, sail down to Mississippi and Louisiana. And everybody knew about it. It was just, you, you, you beat us this time. You tip, <laughs> tip your cap. We'll try and do better next time. So It's a little uh, like gamesmanship in football. You just ran right. better plays than we ran this time. Exactly. And we'll, we'll try to do better I'll next. I'll see you next year. Mm-hmm. Very, so. well, very well explained. Thank you very much. Hey, good stuff. Have Dr. a good week, Will guys. Bolt, History Chair, Francis Marion University. Um, kind of steps out there on uh, on Tuesday morning, and we're glad he does. Thankful to have him here. Take a break. Back in a few moments. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Charles in Lamarck. Morning, Charles. Hey, good morning. I tried to call in yesterday during the Breeze and Cocky Mike show, but I couldn't get through. <laughs> and um, so uh, then later, when I tried to call in, y'all were getting ready to do your your trivia. <clears throat> this. Your favorite caller talking about this $30,000 addendum sticker on a truck, and dealers are charging $30,000 over. First of all, the local dealer says they can't give that car away. They can't get anybody to take it. They can't pay anybody to buy it, let alone add a $30,000 sticker. I had that conversation yesterday with the top salesman over there. And Jeff has absolutely no proof or no indication, nothing, not even anecdotal, that anybody's paying anything over sticker. He's talking about, well, they're adding these addendum stickers, but you know what? The damn truck's still sitting there. Nobody's bought it, so so far nobody's paid anything for it, let alone over sticker. You can't talk about what people are charging until they actually uh, do business. And then that was what I wanted to get through yesterday. Now, on today's topics, I want to mention a couple of things, and then i got a, a Zoom meeting here in a few minutes. Um, not only are we destroying the environment, mining these minerals to make these batteries, but, Ken, approximately what percentage of electricity is derived from fossil fuels in this country, coal, oil, and natural gas. Do you know what that number is? Not exact, but it's an ass. (laughs) 
It's about 80 to 85 percent. Yeah, but I figured I was going to say north of 75 percent. So about 80, let's use 80. Let's use a round number. So not only are we destroying the environment by mining this stuff and child labor and a dollar an hour and horrible working conditions, but electricity, which has an issue now because of the grid, rolling brownouts and blackouts in California right now, about 80% of electricity comes from coal, natural gas, and oil. And you also had a caller that it was hiking the Appalachian Trail with Mark Sanford this morning who mentioned um, who mentioned fossil fuels and gas and oil is not a fossil fuel. I don't know the whole story, but 100-plus years ago, there was something before Congress about fossil fuels, and John D. Rockefeller sent a representative to Washington to testify that petroleum was a fossil fuel that's where all this came from and that in order that it could be somehow protected on federal lands or something i don't know the whole story but that's what that that gentleman was talking about uh so it's all uh, a publicity ploy from standard oil company is where all that started from thank you charles anyway a lot lot of good information there i've read the story about you know, categorizing or classifying. I mean, it's the American Petroleum Institute, and they found out the American Petroleum Institute was funded by one man, and his name was John D. Rockefeller, and he wanted oil and, and gas to be designated as a fossil fuel because it fit into some category that allowed them to get enormous tax benefit. I mean, imagine that. <laughs> imagine, you know, I mean, he actually paid, if I'm not mistaken, um, some institute had a vote and they found out later that 75 percent of the people on the panel were paid by john rockefeller i mean and we've discussed monopolies here on the show and antitrust and you know breaking up standard oil and breaking up my bail um my, my point is tried to be and, and you know once again it's not a debate on what energy we should use these people are nuts. They're zealots, and they're dangerous. That's my concern. Um, uh, you know, a, a, a zealous nut is one thing. A zealous nut trying to redefine, you know, our our sources of energy or resituate or position our sources of energy. That's dangerous. I mean, zealous nuts are one thing. The world's full of zealous nuts. But, but zealous nuts in pursuit of transforming our energy grid from a reliable, dependable source to something that we have very few answers to many, many legitimate questions, that's, that alarms me. I mean, that, that's concerning to me. And it's across the board. It touches all corners of our life. Um, what, what do I drive to get to work? How do I heat my home? Um, I mean, those are central to how we live first world lives. And if we allow these zealous nuts to buy into this religion called climate change and, and redefine or reposition the energy grid in America, it could take a generation to dig out from under such a monumental mistake. 843-661-0937. And, you know, there's an old saying, these people are educated beyond their intelligence. I, I tend to kind of believe that a lot of those folks 
fall in that category. The written and spoken word is not always the truth. Back in a few. You know, as a Gamecock fan and, and I guess Homer to the SEC, I've always wondered, why would you want to be the head football coach at Vanderbilt? I, mean, I understand it. <laughs> have maybe, you wondered that? Yeah, I have. I'm going like, why would you want to be the head football coach at Vanderbilt? Go to Auburn, Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia, um, even South Carolina to some degree. Um, you're an academic inclined institution in a renegade football conference. And I asked myself, why would you want to be speaker of the house? Why would you want to herd cats every, every <laughs> single day, especially in the Trump era and all the dissent within the ranks of the GOP? Um, Fox News Radio's Jared Halpern is in our nation's capital. Good morning, Jared. How are you? I'm good. You can get a nice office. <laughs> You're right. You get a real nice office. Uh, I've had one of those. Hey, does, does Speaker McCarthy have a problem and the, the statements of lack of leader, what do we make of that uh, inside the Beltway, Jared? Yeah, I mean, it's clear that a lot of the issues that we kind of thought were always underneath the surface are right? What are those issues? It's a very small majority, right, of just three or four members, depending on sort of what the attendance is that day. Um, it is a very uh, raucous kind of free just sort of that right flank. Uh, trying to put a lot of pressure, uh, who have a really outsized role uh, given the small majority, right? It only takes a handful of lawmakers to kind of upend everything. And you're seeing all of that play out now, um, especially after uh, Speaker McCarthy has been able to kind of navigate some of these issues prior, right? Like the the debt limit increase, right? He was able to navigate that with uh, a deal with uh, the president, uh, now they are facing a government shutdown, which was supposed to be easy because that deal that he negotiated with the president set these new spending caps. But you have Republicans in the House that want to go deeper than those uh, agreed to spending limits. Um, they are threatening um, to, to kind of shut down the government because they are not able to move forward on any sort of appropriations bill, long term or short term. And that's the, the frustration when you hear from Speaker McCarthy is he says, if you guys aren't going to pass an appropriations bill, if you aren't going to pass a CR, then what is the plan? Those are like the options, right? And so we'll see what happens. Today will be a big day because today the House is going to try and move forward on a one-month continuing resolution. It's got a bunch of immigration proposals in it. Um, it's got some spending cuts in it. Um, it was negotiated essentially absent leadership. It was negotiated essentially by a group of House moderates and a group of House conservatives, um, and they'll see if they can advance it. Now, if they do advance it, it is still going nowhere in the Senate. Right? The Senate's not going to vote for that, but at least it demonstrates that the House Republicans are able to advance their own plan and then sort of come to the negotiation table with a little bit of leverage. If this fails today, I don't know what the next step would look like for the House, other than you would think that they would have to kind of acquiesce to what the Senate does on a short-term spending bill. That's going to involve uh, a lot of Democratic votes and a lot of conservative vote, uh, uh, votes of no. Um, and then, you know, what that means for Speaker McCarthy moving forward. Do you see a Matt Gates type try and trigger this um, mechanism to remove the Speaker? That That's that would be historic. That's not happened in the way that the House of Representatives is set up in the modern era. Um, and it also, by the way, would, would create a vacuum in the House, because if you do remove the Speaker, you can't do anything else in the House of Representatives. They can't hold votes. 
There's very little you can do without a speaker. They would have to elect a new speaker. Were you around in January when they did that the first time? <laughs> um, I don't know um, who emerges then as a potential sort of speaker in waiting. Jared, is it fair to say, I mean, obviously he's got his problems or issues or, or, or situations within the ranks of the caucus, but he's also got the Trump phenomenon. I mean, a former president running for reelection, um, yeah. polling at about, you know, somewhere in the fifties. Uh, I mean, I've seen a poll as high as 60. I've seen him in the upper forties, but, but you would agree. I think that part of his job is based on what Trump's polling numbers suggest. Well, it is, but remember the other part of his job is trying to protect the more vulnerable members of his uh, conference, right? The most vulnerable members up for re-election in the House are not those um, who have a lot of support with President Trump because they're probably going to win re-election because districts are pretty favorable for them, right? It is the moderate uh, Republicans in places like New York and California and Illinois and Florida who flipped Democrat-held seats to give Republicans the majority, oftentimes in districts that were won by President Biden, are up for re-election next year when President Biden's on the ballot. And if you want to keep your majority as a Republican, you're going to have to win those seats again. And so there's certainly an obligation that the Speaker of the House has to try and not put those members in a position that makes it even harder for them to win re-election and keep the majority. Very, very well explained. Thank you, Jared. Appreciate your time. Have a great day, sir. That's kind of a um, kind of an interesting take. You know, you got the the Trump polling numbers on one side, and some of these members in swing districts on the other side, and you got to walk that fine line between making sure you stay in the good graces to some degree uh, of Trump world, but but not getting so far down that road that you put you know some of the more moderate members in in harm's way. I mean, it, it's the job of the speaker to. To, to play that role. I mean, it really and truly is. And it gets complicated. I mean, it's probably as complicated for a Republican speaker as it's ever been. Um, I mean, it would not be as complicated if Trump weren't running again. But with Trump running again, there's still a faction within um, who know their voters are overwhelmingly supportive uh, of Trump. But then you've got these other swing districts that I don't know. I mean, I, I've had enough of, um, of Cheeto Jesus and McCarthy's job is to maintain the majority and maintain the majority means what protecting some of those moderates, but not, not offending the Trump element so much that, you know, they, they vote you out of office or you find yourself running against um, some challenger. Let's go to the phone. Nick in Lexington. Hello, Nick, you're on the air. Hello, fellas. Ken, I saw Andy Staples a couple years ago rank the five best college football coaching jobs. Do you know it was third? Vanderbilt. Fired SEC coach. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that. Do you realize that Will Muschamp, in his tenure as coach at South Carolina, when you add his $13 million buyout, only made $300,000 less than Debo. Hmm. Hmm. Because he got about from Florida and South Carolina, right? Well, I know just the $13 million. If you Okay, okay, I got you. I got you. Their five years, when he had five years? Correct. And Debo was at $9 million his last, at the, the last turn. Dabo's, Dabo's earned is. We can question whether Will did or not. Agreed. 
agreed. <laughs> but the reason the reason I really called is I think all our questions and answers are just the lobby form of government, especially, and I guess the first one to really start to influence it was Rockefeller. I mean, and what's confusing to me is I know that the electric motor is a better motor. I mean, and that's why we use it on the railroad. And they have a diesel generator to generate the electricity. So they made a car, the Chevy Volt, that had a battery that would go 150 miles, and then it had a generator in it as soon as you ran out of energy that it would get the electric, I mean, the gasoline engine would make electricity at the optimum electrical thing and drive it on forever, you know, so you could go to Florida and not have to recharge. You just use the gas portion because it but that failed. And and I, the only reason I can think about it is now I see all these Tesla charging stations, you know, and I had a buddy tell me, you know, it's not the cars, it's the information. So when you sign your little, so when you, you go to recharge at a Tesla charging station, it's already got your credit card on there. And it, you, you see what I'm saying? It's all, there's no buddy to sell you you know you don't go into convenience store but my point is is you've already when you agreed to all that long line of stuff now he's got all your information of your travel records and that's where the money is i'm told is that bulk data you with me i am because as i think about it the battery's not going to ultimately be the fuel source when we have a nuclear submarine that you can fill up and go 25 years before you have to fill up again i mean ultimately i would think you're going to have some kind of nuclear or hydrogen cell that generates the electricity to drive it so i wonder if it's really just a lot you know people trying to find their niche to get rich as we get from a total internal combustion engine to a nuclear fuel cell. But Nick, let me ask you this, because you're a smart guy and you're, you're well read. Why the sense of urgency to stop burning fossil fuel? I mean, why are we forcing uh, the consumer down a path when most don't have a big problem with the internal combustion engine? I think it's to... So I, I saw something about. Mark I mean, let, let, let me stop you there. I mean, I'm interrupted. I'm being rude, but I want to. I want to. I want to kind of add to that question. Do, do you believe that it's because they sincerely, genuinely believe that the planet's at risk? I think the nuts do. The zealots. But I don't think that's where the money is. Okay, I don't disagree I think with that. There's people influencing the nuts so that they can make their billions. I really think it's just trying to to capture to, to 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 drive the disruption. I really think ultimately we're going to have a driverless, you know, we're you know, it's a driverless car. So you're going to buy miles from Ford, and it's going to be like Uber for most people. All right, and because when the cars can talk to each other, 
you're not going to have as many wrecks. I don't care what people say. I mean, they talk about, you know, when these cars that, you know, um, Tesla's had seven wrecks, you know, autonomously. Well, God only knows how many there would have been if the people were driving. You know, but I'm so as we go along, I would expect the cars to be able to talk to each other. You're going to go ahead. I'm going to go behind and kind of define their own stuff. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. Let, let's, go other, let's go to the other. Let's go to the other extreme. Let's go to the other extreme. So you believe that the nuts are being played in the name of climate change. I, I'm with you. I'll agree with that. What about on the other side of the equation? Those who say this is an attempt or an effort or a scheme to try and control your independence, your portability, your your you know your your ableness to get from point A to point B, to live your life free and and uh, unencumbered. I mean, what what do you say to those people who believe this is all about controlling you know where people are allowed to travel and how far they're allowed to get from home and and um and you know keeping tabs on on people? I mean, do you buy into any of that? If it, if I could figure out a way it could make someone rich, I would. Okay, money's the answer. Now, what's the question? Exactly. Okay. I really think that it's all about influencing the oncoming disruption. You know, they say the first market disruption was the printing press. You know, really, people didn't have to read because you really had monks right just copying the Bible, and uh, and then you had priests, for lack of a better word, that would read it. But there weren't enough people, you know, until the printing press, you couldn't get books to the masses. So really didn't, you didn't really need to read. But, but if we had a legitimate debate on climate change and climate change was ruled a farce, would we still have the disruption to transition from one energy source to another? Y- yes. Ultimately, I would think technology is going to be technology. Human innovation. All right. Okay. Gonna, whatever is cheaper, you know. Part of the thing they say Amazon is so successful is they have the best algorithm for ordering. All right? So even though if you're some small electrical uh, distribution company, you decide to put some of your receptacles on 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 Amazon, next thing you know, they're making receptacles because they see how much you're making. You know what I'm saying? They can become your competition. But for the short term, they have the best algorithm, and it's the cheapest to get their stuff out. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sure, I do. So I always think it's always about, I mean, I really think it's about how can I get rich. It always is. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate it. We got to take a break. Before we take a break, I mean, I I think, you know, I wrote something down this morning. Uh, We're talking about John Fetterman and the dress code. You know, he's allowed to now dress like a bomb. Uh, It's kind of a bomb. I mean, you dress the part. I believe the better answer, and I thought a lot about this over the uh, over the uh, evening hours. I think the better answer is to force all the members of Congress to dress like NASCAR drivers and and rep their sponsors. <laughs> I mean, I, I do. <laughs> I see what you're saying. I, I, you know, you put your Hickey Freeman down, <laughs> but put your hoodie down brought, too. Brought to you by Pfizer. Yeah, brought to you by Pfizer. Brought to you by Green, Green Energy. Brought to you by Black uh, General Motors, BlackRock, Vanguard. I mean, all these corporations. And, and I think Nick's hitting on that. Uh, it's all about somebody getting rich. Public policy is not about public good. It's simply not. Public policy is about somebody getting paid and who can be the shield or the or the um, the pawn or the mark in the game of getting um, to somewhere. 
once again, I'm not opposed to EVs. I'm not opposed to renewable energy at all. We're just not being told the whole story. We're told over and over and over again about the nastiness of the oil and gas industry. The oil and gas industry is nowhere near as nasty as the mineral extracting industry. The mining industry contributes about 36% of all industrial pollutants in the world today. So if you're driving a Tesla, you're inhumane, you're unethical, and you're abusing the climate of the planet Earth the good Lord bestowed upon us and entrusted with us more than the gas guzzler diesel 250 uh, pickup truck driver. Uh, But the good old boy is more moral, more ethical, and a better steward of the planet today. Now, that could change uh, 10, 20, you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now. But right now, I mean, you're taking advantage of people in the Congo. You're enriching the Chinese government. Um, You're causing more damage to the planet. And, And that, by definition, is immoral and unethical. But once again, the, the, the very crowd that normally virtue signal are the ones that have the least virtue. Take a break. Back in a few. See, I think today is a day that we could say, you know, normally we say for entertainment purposes only. I think today we could say for educational purposes educational as well as um, uh, entertainment. It's, it's the convergence of what, what does Glenn Beck say? The convergence of enlightenment, enlightenment, and, uh, and something, something. Yeah. Uh, entertainment, entertainment, and enlightenment. enlightenment. I don't think we can be accused of enlightening anybody, but I spent a good bit of time yesterday trying to better understand some of these positions I hold and some of these beliefs I have, and it's a complicated matter. It's extremely complicated, and the government's trying to offer it as just a simple transition. I mean, just kind of walk in that back room over there, switch that, you know, just kill the internal combustion switch and flip on the EV switch and we'll all be just fine and glorious. Mm-hmm. And that's just not the case. It's easy it to is say. Extremely, and it gets into humanitarian issues. I mean, it gets into cobalt mining in, in, in the Congo that Chinese own the rights to. And um, I, I, one of the things that I am very aware of, I understand the steel industry. I mean, it's not, you know, well, I heard or I read or I, somebody told me. No, I know how nasty making steel is. Mining is significantly nastier than making steel. So I read um, industrial pollutants. There were about eight or ten articles out there. Um, not conservative, not liberal, but rather, I thought, fair-minded. And, you know, mining emits about 36% of all industrial pollutants. So, so you got a humanitarian issue, you got an ethical, moral issue. You've also got this, you know, is it really good for the climate or not? And, and I think Nick's interesting point was when I said, do you believe that there are those out there that actually consider whether we're going to make the planet extinct? And he said, the nuts, I mean, the nuts do, but the nuts are easily played by people who have um, financial reasons and financial motivations. Um, you know, we, we take a very legitimate stance on climate change. We don't know. Um, we know the climate is changing. We have no idea how much man is contributing to that climate change, nor do we know exactly what to do to stop it from, from happening if indeed um, that is the case. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Jeff in Florence. Hello, Jeff. You're on. Hey, good morning. Um I don't know. Are you guys science fiction fans? Do you like sci-fi movies or read any sci-fi books? I don't. I've never gotten into that. I'm not a Trekkie. I guess my generation would be a Trekkie or not, and I'm not. I do. Yeah. 
Yeah. So uh, in the future, uh, how do they predict? How, how do they depict the world? Dystopian. Oh, a dystopian. But but do you see uh, the Cadillacs driving around? Well, you see, I I've watched a lot of the Jetsons, and they you know fly those flying cars from yeah, right house to house. Right. So th- the point is, like, e- everybody thought Jules Verne was crazy when he talked about a submarine that was powered by the sun. He was talking about nuclear energy. Um, to think that we're going to always exist on fossil fuel is kind of naive, don't you think? I, I don't think about always. I mean, I, I think about the here and now. I'm saying always. No, but, but, but I, that's what I'm trying to – I don't think about the always. I've never been able – to hypothesize and theorize. As a businessman, I had to make decisions on facts that I was familiar with. I understand the academic or intellectual uh, oh, see, curiosity. Well, I mean, I, but but I have to live there, Jeff. I can't help it. I don't have I don't have any choice. I mean, I can't run a business based on what might, what could, what may, what eventually, you know. I hope. I mean, I can't do that. I mean. The here and now is the here and now. And, and, and I think the private sector, well, I think, okay, but I think the private sector will do a better job of deciding what the future looks like than some government bureaucrat. So do you trust Exxon? Do you trust Chevron? Do you trust Shell? I trust Exxon and Shell and Chevron to make money producing gas from refining oil. Well, no, or energy. Just, uh, that, well, I mean, yeah, I, mean, uh, yeah, I, I trust them about as much as I do anybody in the energy business. Okay, that's the free market, right? Yeah, but that, that's called profit. I mean, they're in it not to make your life better or mine better. They're in it to provide a product that we need and profit from it. And nobody's, they're not saying, you know, petroleum's going away or fossil fuels, but they are going to be transitioning. We'll, we'll always need the raw feedstock that is oil but i mean but but i mean you know the plastics is it is it true or not that gavin newsom says by the year 2032 it's going to be illegal to buy and sell a gas or diesel powered car in the state of california that's a state's rights issue i can't tell you but i mean you're you're saying we're just we're never going to do without that's the answer but but no but but you you just said it's crazy to believe that the government's going to force us to not be allowed to buy fossil fuels anymore. And I'm telling you, there's a state right now run by Democrats that, that has legislation on the books that will make it illegal to buy a diesel or gas car if you're a resident of um, California in eight years. So what about, I didn't say it was illegal to buy a gas car. We're going to use petroleum. We're going to use fossil fuels. What we use it for might change. Can you see that? Sure. I mean, okay. we're already changing that. I mean, and not, I'm we not opposed those. to, I mean, this may surprise you. I'm not opposed to some degree of cafe standards. Look, look, when you go to a refinery, all around that refinery are specialty chemical companies. It's a complex. And all those specialty chemicals build everything we use in, in our life. And it's not about the gas. That refinery does a lot of things and makes a lot of things that don't power your car. And, 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 and we need those chemicals. Nobody's saying it's going away. I'm glad you're taking an interest in the Congo. Um, I sent Dave an article yesterday, a couple, because uh, I thought you might like the New York Post as a resource better than what I sent the first time. 
you see where? Well, what does that mean? I would like the New York Post as a source better. Yeah, look, if I send a CNN article, I don't expect you to take any credence in it. But the New York Post, is that a legitimate news source for you? I mean, they're about as legitimate as about any other media source. (laughs) I mean, I, I just don't, what I mean, no, Times? no, but, but see, Jeff, I don't put a lot of faith in the media in general. I just don't. I mean, I, I don't trust Fox. I, I don't trust CNN. I don't trust MSNBC. Political. I mean, Fox tends to align with my worldview more, but I don't take Fox yeah. hook, line and sinker. I'm not that crazy or naive. No, no. This was about the largest lithium deposit in the world. Do you know where it was just discovered? I think there's some in Nevada, Oklahoma, somewhere out in the uh, in the western UN, United States. Do you think they didn't know that was there? What do you mean they? they. Who was they? I mean Elon Musk. Why, why do you think he's building a battery factory there? Because that's where the, the lithium is. Right. So this new discovery that supposedly they just found, you know, conspiracy theory, you got yours, I got mine. We've known we've had these deposits. Sure. I mean, but we've, yeah. we've not had a reason to go get the lithium because we were doing a pretty good job at, um, you know, converting oil into gasoline and diesel. Right. Well, I mean, but, you know, we, we use batteries and everything, like you said, the cell phones. And, and I'll say this to you. Uh, you were upset about the Keystone Pipeline being canceled, correct? I was upset about the loss of jobs. No. Well, I mean, you know, the loss of jobs to bring, well, I mean, to bring it, what? I, I, I'm upset what? at the Biden administration for making us more dependent on our energy needs and less independent. I mean, that, that's kind of my, I mean, if you ask me my, my legitimate concern with the Biden administration, I think they're wrong on energy because they won't allow our entrepreneurial spirit to pursue energy sources within the confines of the good old U.S. of A. I mean, you know, okay, we can get the, as specific you as you'd like. that Keystone doesn't come from the, the the source that would flow through Keystone is not in the United States. It's, right? it's Canada, of course. I mean, it's Canadian right. energy that makes its way into the U.S. But but it but it what creates kind of energy. What I mean, it, it creates it creates a if if I mean, you believe in supply and demand. I, I absolutely do. Okay. Well, I mean, a, a more abundant supply of energy to match that abundant demand is going to lead to better pricing for the consumer. And when we shut down Keystone Pipeline, we we imp- th- there was an impediment to supply that caused a reaction uh, in, in the marketplace, and energy costs more now. Do, do you believe that there's a shortage of oil? No, I don't buy that at all. Okay, because, and, and not to say his name, but there was a president before this one that asked Saudi Arabia to stop pumping oil to prop up the oil prices. Do yeah. you remember that? No, sure. Okay. I mean, but, but you're asking me, do I believe energy producers play game with the, with, with the oil market? Of course I do. Absolutely they I do. do. They collude. Sure they do. They do. Absolutely yeah. they do. Um, but I, our government colludes hard. with foreign nationals to set prices on oil so consumers can be gouged in the marketplace. You think it's our government, but would you be in favor of banning and exp- uh, bringing back the banning of refined goods exportation in the United States? No. Oh, so so you're okay with Exxon and and all these companies shipping refined gasoline and diesel to foreign markets? Yes. I mean, I, I, I'm going but to allow. You're, you, you're asking that? me. No. I mean, I don't have the authority as a as an American government to dictate what Exxon can or cannot do. 
I mean, Exxon's a Exxon is a for-profit business. If Exxon decides to sell oil to Finland or Norway or or, or, or another and, and make a higher profit, I mean, I, that's not the role of the government to impede them from being allowed to do that. But I mean, Exxon's a global Exxon's oil. a global conglomerate. Okay, but they're pumping U.S. oil, which is owned by the U.S. citizens. But they pay for the rights. I mean, they pay for the contracts. No. Sure, no, they, they have. They get they get royalty abatements. You know that. Well, to some, no, th- th- there's kind of a balance in royalty abatements, a royalty abatements, abatements, and 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 some of the leases they pay. I mean, they pay enormous amounts of money to lease federal property to pursue oil. But they don't pay their royalties. I, 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 you're getting me in the weeds there. I mean, I, I don't know right. the. But but you don't know that either. You don't know what sort oh, of agreement. Oh, I do know that. Okay, okay. So, no, that the EPA will show you. I mean, it's it's. We know they is that the same taxes, EPA right? telling me about the plight of cobalt miners in in uh, in the Congo? Well, is, is that is that the up. same Environmental Protection Agency that is steadily reminding the American public of the circumstance and situation that the cobalt we're using in electric vehicles? Or yes. are being mined in the Congo, and China sure. delivers about eighty percent of the carbo, car, carbo, car, cobalt to the marketplace. Is that the EPA, yeah. EPA you're talking about? Absolutely, and, it, and it's funny you mentioned mining again because that Keystone Pipeline. What well, I mean, I've got to mention plan? it because you're not. No. I've got to mention right. mining because all you want to talk about is oil and Exxon and energy and Shell I'm and BP. Do, do you feel? Do, but, but let me ask you a question: As someone who advocates for EVs. Do you feel a little I don't unethical? For EV. Sure, you do. No, I do not. <laughs> I do not. You don't advocate for EVs. No. I you send articles with the price of an electric truck at a dealership, Rich, and a caller Rich, called yesterday. Callers. The caller called yesterday. The EV you referred to. The caller called the sales manager at the dealership, and he said they can't give it away. You represented that as someone was ready to pay thirty thousand dollars over sticker price. Such a demand. They were not. Is that not advocacy? You totally missed the point. I said nobody would be willing to pay thirty thousand over MSRP. Well, he said they can't. I'm going to clean the language up because the 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 text I got was colorful and car like. Um, But he said (laughs) they can't give it away. So so time out. Your caller today called in and said that I was. Full of uh, excrement. No, I, I just, I, I, but I'm not saying that. I think you are a theoretical, hypothetical kind of guy, and and I can't live in that theoretical, hypothetical sort of world. I think MSNBC does a great job of sowing the seeds of hypotheses and and, and theories. I can't live in that world, and, and I think to to try as forcefully as we are abandon one energy source in preference for another that's not proven, has a lot of humanitarian issues associated. China's a big player in this market. I think it's a far more complicated conversation than the American public are being allowed to to have. Let me just finish with this. You you talk about, and, and nobody's advocating. Again, I've said, and I don't know what anybody else said, we're not moving away from oil. It will shift how we use it. But I do want to point this out to you. The Keystone Pipeline brings one thing to the United States. It brings tar sand oil. And do you know how you get tar sand oil? I'm listening. Mining. It's the dirtiest form of oil production in the world, and nobody had a problem with that. But, but, 
but mining is the central issue of the EV. We but can't have electric vehicles unless we mine. I mean, unless we increase the capacity to mine, we can't have electric vehicles, period. There is no way to build EVs without cobalt, without magnesium, without lithium, without um, nickel, without aluminum. Do you know how fast battery technology is changing? It's like Moore's law for computers. Okay. I mean, there's another. Jeff, you are the most hypothetical, theoretical, non-fact-based person that I've ever encountered. And I mean that with no degree of, of animus. I mean, I mean that sincerely. But every argument you make is what might be, what could be, what shall be. Do you know how fast batteries are changing? I don't know how fast batteries are changing. I did in preparation for the show Google can you build lithium batteries without cobalt? There was one website, some energy site that said maybe, but you'd have to replace it with about twice as much nickel. So there may be human innovation out there. There may be a better way to build a lithium battery. But right now, the lithium battery requires cobalt and nickel, and the only place to get it is slave camps in the Congo delivered to China. They deliver 80% of the marketplace, and I'd rather pump oil in the good old U.S. of A. until we can figure out a better way to transition to a new energy source. Hey, just just real quick. Fact, U.S. is producing more energy now than it ever has. Fair enough. Thank you, Jeff. 843-661-0937 is our number. But the EV proponents, they don't want to seem to admit that there is an environmental cost to producing these batteries. It's not just environmental. It's environmental. It's humanitarian. It's ethics. It's morals. All of the above. But, but once again, you know, we're, you know, oil's the bad guy. Oil's the boogeyman. With a smugness, yeah. they say, you driving that gas-guzzling vehicle, you bad. And it's a lot of fun to hypothesize and theorize. I've just never been able to balance my checkbook on some of those unknowns. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. David in the PD. Good morning. You're on. Hey, I, that would be a good idea what you guys are talking about, Ken, with uh, I guess the politicians, where their sponsors on their outfit or whatnot, because I guess Biden yeah, he brought up BlackRock, I guess Pfizer, Amtrak, uh, the whole credit card industry. Uh, ben and Jerry's, you see meat, ice cream, Ukraine, Ron Klain. But here's, here's what's missing out of this uh, Hollywood and grain activism. You know, DiCaprio had a movie called uh, Blood Diamond, and that was about conflict diamonds. And it showed you how they mined for that. And here we've got this whole industry, uh, there's conflict minerals, uh, and I've heard it called blood cobalt. But it's amazing how Hollywood is kind of quiet in, in that. Uh, and Joe Rogan's about the only person you hear about that, but they'll they'll tear him apart because he's just a podcaster and he was fear factor and this and that. But it's amazing how this green activism industry in Hollywood, you don't really hear anything from them. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937. Most of Hollywood's on strike and nobody cares. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, uh, Bill Maher said he was going back on or going back to work and then he's not. And mm-hmm. then he is. And then he's, and then he's not. Let's go to the phone. Joe in Florence. Hello, Joe, you're on. Uh, yeah, guys, great show as usual. It kind of reminded me of uh, a, an analogy I have. Uh, my life finds me kind of in the car every morning for your show and every afternoon for uh, Sean Hannity's show. And uh, I, I like both shows, but um, Sean's show is kind of like a top 40. Uh, you know, you're going to hear the same things every hour. 
And if you miss an episode, uh, you know, you're going to you're going to hear those same uh, same songs the next week. Uh, you guys are, are like a, a deep cut album station. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm afraid to miss your show because there might be a, a live version of Jungle Land at Madison Square Garden <laughs> that you play. You now play you're talking. Now we're talking. Again. So, you know, like I say, I, I'm just amazed that in four hours you guys can produce so much different content and so many different subjects. And in three hours, he's basically, uh, you know, saying the same thing over and over again. And if you miss show, you're really not missing much. So I hope you take that as the compliment that uh, that I do, because I've I grew up on FM album uh, cut radio. Thanks, guys. Thank you. That is a very I yes. consider that very much a compliment. And I know Appreciate every that. now and then and I think Rev kind of, you know, hey, man, we're not super serving. But but I, I, this is a complicated matter that deserves serious consideration. And I don't think the media nor the public have an understanding of how complicated it really is. I'm no rocket scientist. You guys know that. I mean, I, I may be of average intelligence if I'm lucky on my best day, but I'm curious and I'm not afraid to kind of dig in and sink my teeth. Rev knew when I sat down this morning that I'd really dug into, into this issue. Um, so, so yes, I consider that an absolute compliment. Uh, at times we aren't top 40. We are deep cuts and nothing is better than a version of jungle land live <laughs> in Madison. Occasionally, we play the hits. Occasionally we play the hits. Enjoy your day. We'll talk tomorrow.